Hello, quick pre-show note. Before we got into Worth the Candle, Stephen and I got to talking about the Batman, which we had seen together a couple days prior. I really liked it, Stephen a little bit less so, but the conversation went to a few uncomfortable places. If you would like to hear it, it is available for patrons only. Now, back to the regular show. Hey there, Sterling Archer. This is Inyash. Hey, Inyash. This is Steven. Steven, isn't it Archer Sterling? Uh, no, Sterling's the first name. Oh, that's right, because she's Mrs. Archer, his mom. That's right. Huh, Ms. damn. Okay, Archer. so... Mi- oh, thank she you, gets thank around. <laughs> so, Steven, why are you Sterling Archer today? There's an episode... I haven't seen the show in years. Like, it, it got bad after, like, season seven, and, and I think they're still going, so apparently it got good again, I hear. But hmm. years and years ago, there was an episode where he gets uh, breast cancer... And he learns that his chemo, uh, that the chemo he's been treating himself with is fake. Mm. And so he's sick the whole time and he goes on this rampage. And because he's not feeling well, he's like, you know, has to amp himself up before he gets out of the car. And- rampage! The only thought that kept occurring to me over and over throughout this entire chapter or this entire reading was, Archer just yelling rampage and (laughs) it was perfect. So cool. All right. Well, we have, uh, I almost forgot to ask what we're doing here. What are we doing here? Good question. Uh, this is the podcast. Not everything is a clue where you and I discuss Alexander Wales web serial worth the candle now available on audiobook and ebook for the first three books. There has to be more succinct way of saying that. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there is, but you, you did a you did a good job. It's the I mean the book is just one book, but it's the first three books that came out online. So yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to say. You know what? But um, yes, this is what this is all about. Uh, I hope everybody has purchased their book by now. If you haven't, we will continue to have a link to it. Uh, there's also a link to our Patreon where you can support us if you enjoy the show. We kick back 15% to Alexander Wales. And there's a link to his Patreon directly if you would like to support just him directly uh, or in addition. Because, you know, he's the one who's writing all this and giving us these wonderful things to talk about. And we couldn't do it without him. That's right. High five, Alexander. And keep buying, How- keep buying his book. And, and I hear the audiobook's great. So um- Yeah. That's one of the things that we are going to mention before we go into this uh, thing in the, the pre-show notes. Oh, good. Yes. Uh, shall we jump into that then? Oh, yes. Uh, let's jump right in. Cool. Uh, oh, 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 yeah. Before we start, uh, we uh, this, I noticed, is episode number 52 that we are recording. And I believe we do this every week. We've now, we missed a couple of weeks. So it's actually been more than a year when I was on vacation in Hawaii. But um if we pretend that I hadn't missed a couple of weeks while in Hawaii, then we would have been doing this for one full year this week. And uh, actually, it's a couple couple of weeks on top of that. But yeah, this is, this is uh, over a year we've been doing this thing. Damn. Yeah, that blows my mind. Uh, yeah. I'm glad you pointed that out because it, it whizzed by. Um, yes. And we're, we're about 70% done, I think. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I see. The thing is, I have a version of the ebook on my phone. But I downloaded it when we started the podcast, and he wasn't done with the book at that point. So I don't know how much, like, what percentage isn't included in the version I have. My thing says I'm 70% through. Oh, gotcha. It was close to the end. Okay. Well, 70-ish. 
Yeah. I was, uh, yeah, it doesn't feel like it's been a year. No, it, the last, I was going to say two, but it's getting closer to three years, feel like a blur. So, mm. no, no, maybe it's still just two. Yeah, just about. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yeah, so happy anniversary to us. Uh, if you are one of those people that, you know, doesn't want to support a show a whole lot, but maybe you just want to throw us a couple bucks a year, now would be a great time to, like, just sign up for one or two months and then uh, unsign up again. Just as your annual, here's a couple bucks thing. Uh, well, happy birthday to us. Continuing to show us. Thanks, thanks, for, thanks for noticing that. Yeah. That's fun. Milestones are great. I like excuses yes. to celebrate. Heck yeah, me too. Cheers. Cheers. So from the audience, uh, we have Tiny, who posted in our Discord that uh, they just finished the audiobook and can confirm that hobbits are still called hobbits in it instead of halflings. I have no idea if this is a copyright infringement or not, however, or if this could be considered fair use. And then there was another comment on the Discord about what fair use is, and it's basically really fucking hard to um, to say for sure. Like, there'd have to be a lawsuit to find out, but there probably won't be a lawsuit over something so small. And they took as an example of the fact that the Big Bang Theory mentioned Hobbits in one of its episodes. So it's probably, since, like, the Hobbits aren't, like, a major thing, just mentioning them in a fantasy RPG-inspired game isn't going to bring down the wrath of god or anything that's a good point and i remember that big bang theory episode i think and they also like totally mentioned star trek and all this and that like i i i'm not an expert but i feel like the rule on fair use should be like alexander can't write a very successful book about hobbits and not <laughs> mention uh J.R.R. tolkien right um like if people are coming to the story for the hobbits yeah. it, then that's like okay hold on now you're taking money from from me if i'm J.R. if i'm tolkien right um, mm-hmm. but if it's like they were mentioned once as wallpaper, then like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel like, uh, it's now that, I mean, that that's the sensible version of the law. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea how it actually works. Right. I remember back in, uh, when underworld came out, which was a movie about, uh, vampires and werewolves that was, you know, grim darky and very much felt like the, um, game vampire, the masquerade. Uh, and then the White Wolf, the company that makes Vampire the Masquerade, actually sued the producers of that movie because they were like, hey, th- you're, you basically just ripped us off. This is our world. They have all our special powers. And there was even a module that we made that told this exact story. And the producers were like, fuck you. It's vampires and werewolves. And it's a Romeo and Juliet story. Except instead of Capulets and Montagues, you have werewolves and vampires. And uh, I, I don't actually know how that ended up in the courts. But, you know, it went on for a while because fair use and intellectual property and all that shit is really stupid in the u.s yeah that's weird i mean even if it wasn't stupid i'd have to wonder like you know should they should they give vampire and the masquerade people a percentage um then they could be fighting over that rather than just like you know fully who owns this ip right yeah Um, i'm I'm with you though like vampires i don't think anyone owns vampires werewolves or romeo and juliet so like now if they they took the the same names you know, or whatever, as the characters from the game, that'd be one thing. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's like, this is absolutely plausible that two people could have had the same idea. Yes, totally. And, and it's not like, you know, the goth aesthetic wasn't, was White Wolf's intellectual property. It was it was basically a goth vampire movie. Yeah. It's funny. I saw part of the movie when it was new, and I still remember mm-hmm. the aesthetic, but I never finished it. Okay. It wasn't a great movie, but eh, it was fun enough. And if you like the aesthetic, it's worth sitting through. My memory is hazy, but it reminds me a lot of the Batman. 
<laughs> yes. The Batman is such a goth movie. I loved the fuck out of most of it. It oh yeah, we we so we we did see it this weekend. It mm-hmm. you know, my wife was excited to see it, which kind of blew my mind, but I think she had heard good things. And her takeaway was the same as mine. Uh it could have been shorter. Um oh, it was way too long. Which is a drag, because like it it for me it felt too long. And there are movies where I've sat there for three hours and it didn't feel like it was too long. Um, this one, I just felt like it, it, the, the story, the pacing hit a snag like two hours in, um, mm-hmm. that said it was fun, you know, an actual sad Batman rather than just, you know, a guy acting sad. Um, that's not a, I didn't articulate that distinction, but I, I think it <laughs> makes sense. Right. Okay. I mean, uh, this guy, uh, Pattinson's Batman actually like, seemed fucked up rather than Ben Affleck's or um, I'm blanking on his name, Christian Bales who were like, I Batman, I've got problems. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I guess Pattinson, he was acting. I think he was, a, yeah, the best Batman so far in terms of Batman. Depends what you're going for. Uh, but I, I think, just, I think he might be right. Like I liked him a lot. Um, I feel like he fucking nailed the it. Dark. Yeah, I think The Dark Knight was probably a better movie, specifically because the writing was so excellent, and Heath Ledger just did such an amazing Joker. But in terms of just Batman as the single character, I think, I think, uh, yeah, Pattinson's done the best one so far. Yeah, I agree. I think he was like a gripping and interesting character, whereas like Batman in The Dark Knight, we're glad he was there because he helped the movie go along, and we wanted to watch yeah. the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I wanted to see what what this batman was up to so mm-hmm. yeah no that was great and then uh shoe fish um nailed the joke and gets all the credit for it so i, I had that thing about like jokes that require explaining are the second best kind of joke yeah i think what i had and in I the back like- of my mind was like uh technically correct is the best kind of correct um mm-hmm. but that's that's not this isn't correct this is best kind of joke and so yeah. Then you were like, well, what's the setup, you know, or what's the delivery? Because it sounds like the setup is what's the best kind of joke. And Shoefish mm-hmm. nailed it. The answer is funny ones. <laughs> My <laughs> God, that's so fucking perfect. Um, so, so let's deliver this. Yes. We're, we're, uh, okay. Um, right. So, you know, jokes that require explaining are the second best kind of joke. Well, uh, what's the best kind of joke? Funny jokes. But <laughs> I, I think I don't know. Maybe because we already gave away the punchline, it was not as good that second time. But I, we can, it was fucking amazing. We can we can edit it with magic if you want or whatever. But point is, is like that is that is brilliant. And if you went on to explain like what a funny joke is or why that's the better kind of joke, <laughs> then then it becomes meta, right? Then you get to kind of get cyclical with it. So, but anyway, Fantastic. hats off to Shoefish. That was really funny. Yeah, um, that was great. And another hats off that uh, I was listening to last week's episode and I, and I breezed past it because I was focused on something else or whatever. But you had this really fun idea of June. It's, you had said something like June uh, had a thought about like there was never anyone up this far high or whatever, this far down the hallway or whatever, some, like somewhere in the recesses of the building. Mm-hmm. And you were like, June, your imagination is not good enough. Like if you go like another five miles down that hallway, you're going to find descendants of bellhops. And I just like, you know, warring factions of just, you know, uh, bellhop descended mole people. And I yeah. thought, I thought that was just amazing. Legends of the outside world. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Cause they, they won't have windows. Yeah. Yeah. No. All, so that was, that was, that was hilarious and awesome. And I didn't give it 
the the airtime it deserved last week. So uh, oh, well, th- that idea is you, just man. like I, I laughed out loud when you said it. I was like, why didn't I laugh last week? What was I distracted by? So um, yeah, that was cool. great. Well, I, I know what my first fan fiction is going to be of uh, of Rick Gandalf. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> It, All right. I, I wonder, you know, unless they go back to the hotel and blow something up, um, or maybe Grax Wards extends too far and, you know, cut someone's leg off, it might not even touch on the fact that the gang was here. In fact, it could be yeah. a century before or a century after, right? So, right, yeah. All right. Completely self-contained. Yeah, which seems appropriate for mole people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they, they've evolved okay. blindness because electricity, electricity doesn't run that far. I don't know. Um <laughs> uh, Get full crazy with it. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go on to chapter 181. To sleep, perchance to dream. Okay, so I will do my best to constrain myself throughout these chapters. My my thought over and over was basically just like, fuck yeah, that was awesome. And like, it's it's the theme of the next three chapters. Um, Mm -hmm. It's so fucking epic. Um, but things start out pretty grim. Uh, he's chained with magical manacles in a magic blocking room, and they cut out his under the skin gem, and uh, which means that they were thorough. He's also in his underwear. Uh, mm-hmm. Overall, he's taking the situation like a fucking boss, and he talks like he's invincible, um, mm-hmm. which he kind of sort of is, and maybe kind of sort of knows that he is. Uh, but it was just, here we go. I think just the huge dick energy that he's displaying is awesome non-stop colossal dick energy i fucking love it mm. um he's thinking to himself if i'd known what the pipe was gonna do i'd have cut his i'd have fucking cut his head off and dealt with the consequences but i was in the dark and i was like well this is a valuable lesson to young juniper when i doubt cut his stupid head off <laughs> <laughs> the solution to all of life's problems i mean i think uh we might be onto something this is video game logic you yeah. know, cutting their head off the, the cause and solution to all of life's problems <laughs> nice yeah he, he should have really taken that into consideration probably would have been an epic fight throughout the uh the castle and now now he's being punished but we get the just justice boner vengeance so it's right it, honestly it's kind of worth it yeah like if he just cut his I, head I like, off and fought his way out of the building like that'd have been fun or whatever but we would i wouldn't you know have had a raging justice boner for a week so I like this justice vengeance boner that we're talking about because it's going to be a recurring theme, like even all the way through uh, the Valencia chapter. That's right. Yeah. Uh, he says that, okay, so I, I when I read this, I was like, this seems a little too on the nose. I'm probably looking through it through my own jaundiced eye that everything looks weird to me now. But uh, he says uh, when he's uh, really angry about Yaro, uh, uh, the, the guy that you know hit him with the pipe dream. He says what really pissed him off is that uh, it was the position I'd been put in with Yarrow, unable to act without being castigated as the aggressor, but punished for letting him do as he pleased. Uh, and I just realized, is this a metaphor for a cancellation mob? Because it, it, it feels like that's what happens when uh, when someone is being targeted for cancellation. If someone on Twitter, I'm assuming, because Twitter's, I hear, legend of this terrible cesspool that millions flock to every day for some reason but if Mm -hmm. someone on there calls you a racist you can't say no i'm not and you can't apologize you just are now and uh uh, it i like the metaphor catch i mean i that didn't jump out at me for that to me it was just like someone throwing rachel you know either throwing slurs at you or threats at you at the bar and Mm -hmm. 
you know, if you hit the asshole, then you're the aggressor in the eyes of the law, right? Mm-hmm. Or in the eyes of the of the automata that attack people who attack people. Um, yes. You know, if the guy keeps calling your wife, you know, terrible names and uh, that doesn't trigger the the robots, but hitting the guy does. Well, you're the aggressor now, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it's it did it put sucks. June in this tight bind. Yeah. And then he says, <laughs> this was dumb. What pissed me off the most was that there was no way they could have known that sleep was my biggest weakness. I'm like, dude, who doesn't know that being unconscious is a huge weakness? <laughs> like, this is why you sneak up on your enemies in the night and stab them while they're asleep. They can't hurt you while they're sleeping. They can't even see you. I think that if June had his still magic at 100, I'm not sure how quickly it depleted. Um, and like it wasn't cheap, if it, if it wasn't like frozen at 100, um, I think that if asleep, his still magic would still activate. So they couldn't shoot him in, in his sleep. Um, yes. But yes, po- your point is well taken. That's actually really funny because, yes, everyone's vulnerable when they're unconscious. I think that what June was trying <laughs> to communicate <laughs> is that. Uh, My biggest weakness is that I'm permeable to bullets. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what June is trying to communicate is that sleep is even more of a of a handicap for him than it is for everyone else. Um, mm. You know, like, because now his powers are are diminished. But uh, yeah, it you know, the, the smoke could have fully paralyzed him, right? Um, yeah. That's also a very common weakness to people. You know, if, if, if you can't move, you're also vulnerable. But that wouldn't have fucked June over quite as, as hard, right? Right, because the skills would have stayed up. Of course, yeah. So, of course, he has to be knocked unconscious. Yeah. Uh, he does realize that Pipe Dream is the name of the Entad because it's a pipe and it makes you, you know, fall asleep. Uh, I I pulled this out just to say that it's only been like in the last year, I think. Maybe two, because time is weird now. But I think it's just been the last year that I realized that this was basically a a a way to say that this idea you've had is so fucking bad. You must've had it while you were smoking hashish or something. You're just like totally high on opium. It's you were hitting the pipe and this is the crazy ass whack dream you saw. And, and I would always thought before that it meant something about water pipes because the first time I ran into the term pipe dream, it was the name of a video game where you connect pipes in different shapes and try to connect them to the other side before the they fill up with water. And so I just thought it was, with pipes you know oh it was the like hacking mini game from bioshock yes same thing as that yep okay yeah um uh, i mean you know i i've heard it in the sense of pie in the sky kind of thing but i like yeah. the idea that you know it was someone someone's pipe dream somewhere is just great plumbing <laughs> yeah and i didn't someone stuck in afghanistan like one day when we poop, it'll just be flushed out of here. We'll never see it again. I'm just picturing like, dude, like, you high. I, I imagine like that the walls of like behind the walls of like old apartment complexes are just like a mess of pipes. And, you know, it's kind of like probably coming across like a new, like an old project. And you're like, God, this could have been done so much better. Uh, mm. But uh, I'm glad he called out pipe dream. Cause I forgot that, you know, all these things have stupid names and that is actually kind of funny. Um, mm. So he's, He's like, hey, I'm awake, I'm bored. And th- I think he's there to wait like for an hour before anyone comes to see him. So he does the smart things that I just love. He checks in on Amaryllis and Grack. They're, they seem to be okay. And he considers going to talk to Bethel, but it would have been awkward. And it's not clear what you could have done. But mm. I just love, like this is why I love Rafik. I love smart characters. Like 
this is the idea that I mentioned before. And I was made like, I, I hope he thinks of this. And if he just forgets about this power, it would be annoying, but he didn't. And it's awesome. And so I love smart characters and the fact that he immediately acted smart. You know, I get the, the steel man case for like what happened to land him here was that I think things happened faster in the room, like in that moment than they did for us talking about it. Right. Right. It was probably all of 10 seconds. And so, yeah, you know, it's like maybe 30, but it wasn't long. Yeah. Yeah. May- maybe 30, but like it, it just, we had all this time to sit and think about it, but he's just sitting there like, well, shit, you know, when do I cut his head off? And before he could make up his mind, you know, shoot at the wind. So I guess, uh, I guess that was a reasonable lapse in judgment. If not reasonable, it's, it was an understandable lapse in judgment. Cause June's a fucking genius. He did all the smart things here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Zinnia shows up and, She's not merely like kidnapping him for, I don't know, hostage stuff. She's a fucking psycho who doesn't laugh at hilarious jokes. Um, <laughs> he's, he's being, you know, he's strung up in his underwear and he's like, I'm sorry, are there consequences for not answering your questions? I assume there would be given the accommodations. He rattles his chains, <laughs> but you know what happens when you assume she says, I don't. Oh, you make an ass out of you and me. And she just stares. <laughs> This proves she's just a monster. Wait, but she, she doesn't have a sense of humor. Hold on, you know about the ass you me thing because you saw someone write it up on a chalkboard and draw the line between ass you and me, right? Yeah, if, probably. If, if no one had ever done that to you, and you just said, you know, assume. Oh, when you assume you make an ass out of you and me, would you have put together that those letters are all in the word assume? Because I normally don't visualize the letters in a word when someone says it to me. No, but they they did a game of wordplay earlier, you know, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go with my headcanon that she understands the joke and she just doesn't laugh because she can't laugh because she's a monster. <laughs> okay. I, yeah. I just thought that she didn't get it and he was having like a little internal joke again at everyone else's expense. <laughs> you know what it was is he dropped his comedy skill. <laughs> yeah. Damn it, June. You just keep... If he still had his... He could have he just cut her up with laughter and, cu- you know, talked his way out of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't use social as a dump stat, man. Could have avoided getting all these broken bones. Uh, yeah, he. So he does your thing. The the where he says the thing about torture is if if you're going to crack eventually and the info isn't time sensitive, just don't get tortured in the first place. I was like, yeah, that's that's the Steven. I'm I'm so glad this came up. I think this really should be everyone's thing. You know, I, I can't be the only person who has thought about like, okay, if someone's going to torture me for whatever stuff, if I feel like there's any, you know, like that they could eventually get to me, which let's be real, they could. Mm. Um, I might as well just cave before they've, you know, pulverized my balls. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think that rescue might be coming in the near future, it might be worth trying to hold out. That's a good point. You know, if, if I, you know, circumstances have to be adjusted. Oh yeah. Like if I thought help was 30 seconds away, I would, I would let them hit me, you know, a few times. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if I thought help might be a week out, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to, not going to wait a week because I'm not going to last a week. Well, what you if know? like the allies are invading and you know, their secret plans and you just have to hold out for five days because that's when the invasion is. Then you try to hold out the five days, right? This is why I'm not a spy. <laughs> that's <laughs> one fair. of the many reasons I'm not a spy. <laughs> I think I would want to have people at least start the torture because I don't want to just anyone can come up and threaten to torture me and I instantly cave. Like I want to see you at least take some positive action in the torturing department to so I know that you're serious and you ain't just playing me. 
Yeah, it has to be a very plausible threat of torture, and the way to make it super plausible is to, you know, do some some light torture first. Right. I'm like, okay, I believe you. You're a psycho. Yeah. All right. And so they have the flashback where basically they explains why he caves right away by having Arthur do the the exact same thing that uh that we just talked about. Uh, Arthur does say in defense of torture, um, not in the defense of torture necessarily, but um, when they're talking about torture, that one of the downsides of torture is torture makes you look like the baddies, even if you're the goodies. And Tiff says, "How good can you be if you're going around torturing people?" And I'm with Tiff here. I. I I think that if you're going around torturing people, you're probably the baddies, or at the very least, you're not all that good. And, I mean, I understand that what Arthur is saying, and I just, I think it's interesting that he's arguing on the practicalities here, that, like, maybe sometimes you do need to torture someone to save the baby in the locked-up car. Uh, In that case, I I think, you know, you, you probably should. Yes, you should torture someone in that case. But, like, Uther was a straight up, like, massive paladin, like... Everything that we're hearing about him, he wouldn't even use the um, the soul bending on people because he thought it was so evil. And everyone thinks about it, he's this paragon of virtue. But like Arthur is arguing how you know, yeah, sometimes torture is practical, but it just it makes you look bad. And I don't know, like what that implies necessarily. Like, was he putting on a facade of being super good when he was in public, or? Did he change from, you know, when they are having that role-playing session to when he becomes Uther? Because he spends like three, four years in air before he ever becomes Uther. Or maybe he just decided, you know, you know what? I'm in a fantasy RPG. Fuck it. I'm going for real super good because that's what heroes do. And I don't know, like, what do you think about this? Do you think it implies anything about Arthur and Uther? It could be. I think, like, Arthur is the kind of guy who loved a good debate mm-hmm. and a good thought experiment. And could really take up whatever position he wanted for the sake of a, an engaging argument. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe he didn't actually believe this. And like when it came time to be like, all right, am I going to torture somebody? The answer is like, Oh no, I'm not that kind of person. Yeah. Right. So maybe it's all fine. It's all fun and games on paper, but the second that he's sitting there and he's got, you know, the baddie tied to a chair. um, I don't know. Like, do you remember in the first, we were just talking christian bale batman i think this yeah this was not dark knight it was the first one mm-hmm. where he's holding that guy upside down over the side of a building uh, and he's like where are the other drugs going mm-hmm. um like that's torture is that torture and batman's i mean i think i think it would fit the definition okay I, I'm, I'm gonna go i'm gonna go ahead and say yes uh you're freaking somebody out he's probably got diarrhea shit running up his back because you know he's afraid for his life right like yeah. uh and he has every reason to believe you're going to drop it. <laughs> like, okay. uh, aside from ripping his, to- his his fingernails off, then yeah, he's he's being tortured. I guess, like, I feel like, or, you know, if that's not torture, when he's punching the shit out of the Joker. Okay, see, that makes more sense to me. On, I feel like dangling somebody upside down over the side of a building, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like holding a gun to somebody's head. I don't think holding a gun to someone's head is torture either. I, I think it's, you know, coercion by threat of death, but I don't think it's torture if you aren't, you know inflicting grievous bodily harm like that's what torture means right okay yeah i see the distinction you're making um okay yeah so when he's punching joker okay you know he's torturing him yeah right but batman's not the baddie but he also doesn't pretend to be the goodies so like he's the dark knight right um i guess uther didn't want to dark knight it he wanted to white knight it so um i don't know but as far as like i mean i'm gonna go at that point 
in the movie at that point, he was just stupid because he got information out of Joker and he got wrong information because, <laughs> like, as Arthur says, torture oftentimes doesn't give you good information. Um, but I guess that's a that's an argument on the practicalities again, rather than who's good or who's bad. Uh. Yeah, I can't remember. Oh, I think it might have been Tiff who had that comment because Craig was like, let's not argue about, you know, the efficacy of torture again and like i you know i don't think torture should be torture should remain illegal and we should not decide at a societal level that good people can torture bad people um like i think all that should stay the same but like let's be real you can torture true information out of people Um, i guess there could be some some circumstances where you would have to allow for an exception yeah probably Um, like that baby that was locked in the car yeah but like to Tiff's counter argument, that's just like the fully general counter argument people give to torture is like, well, it doesn't work. And it's like, yeah, but actually it that's that's just not true because it does. Um, the thing is, and the reason that it one one failure mode of it is that you can get someone to admit to anything. Yeah. And so if you if you want someone to confess to a crime, then it doesn't work because they're going to confess no matter whether they did it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, when Christopher Hitchens was being waterboarded. The guy who was doing it to him leans down and said, I could make you say you're a hermaphrodite right now. Mm. And like, hell yeah, you could have, right? Okay. Anything to make it stop. Yeah. Um, but anything, including the truth, I guess. Uh, I I don't want people to be able to back out of like, like to dodge the, the question of the ethics of torture just by saying like, well, it doesn't actually work. Because um, that's, all right, let, let's look at the least convenient possible world where it does. Now right. let's talk about why it's wrong. Yeah. And it's wrong for all, all sorts of good reasons. Yeah. Um, Arthur knows uh, Robert's rules of order. Yes. Uh, he, he has a comment about it. I just wanted to point out that I bet your loyalty to Arthur went up by one. <laughs> it was great. It actually made me think maybe we should do a Bayesian conspiracy episode about the rules of order. But we, it would be interesting to conduct one following the rules of order. I don't know if we have enough people with just the three of us. Mm. like the rules of order are meant for a large group Groups. of people trying to get yeah. something done yeah yeah we'll see okay we can give it some thought um anyway so i liked this arthur wanted to say like nope my guy doesn't give in mm-hmm. um and he also had a comment about like oh guccifer was the guy's name um like no i don't want to make a new character because if i make one and then we save guccifer like by that time he'll be dead to me anyway mm-hmm. um and that just felt significant but I don't have anything to dive into there. Um, Guccifer spelled like Guccifer? Maybe it was Guccifer. Could be. Uh, Guccifer sounds uh, better, but like I could see those guys just being, you know, those kind of people. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's a uh, Gucci Lucifer or what he's going for there, but yeah. Um, the, uh, the, so the debate that he's having with art with June is like, June says, no, you can't just say you're immune to torture. And Arthur says, yeah, it's a character question. Characters go to the players, not the rules, not the DM. Mm -hmm. And I don't have strong opinions on how tabletop games work, but that feels like such an Arthur thing to say, and I love him for saying it. (laughs) Cool. I I, I mean, I agree with him on principle. I disagree with him in this particular instance, but it is definitely an Arthur thing. Yeah, it it was just... uh, He's like, no, it's a, it, you know, it's about character. He's all about characters, right? Yeah. He, he mentioned, so it's just, he's like, no, it's not about the rules. And then when they kind of articulate like, no, it's actually going to be like uh constitution and wisdom roles. Mm-hmm. Then he's just like, fuck it. Then, then he, then I, I cave immediately. Yeah. If Guzver thinks he's going to crack eventually, then he'll just say everything up front and skip the torture. Yeah. And 
Raymer is like is pissed because he wanted to get in and rescue him because you know he fucked up to get there in the first place or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Ar- Arthur's like, if, if I think I'm going to give it up anyway, then yeah. What do you mean? I'm gonna. What's the point of enduring the pain? Everyone cracks eventually. Mm-hmm. And that was the end of the flashback. And the I feel like I don't know where Alexander gets like the inspiration for these, but they all feel like perfect fade to black scenes, and they've been getting like more and more like sad foreboding um melancholy whatever right oh because he um, said what's the point in enduring the pain everyone cracks eventually yeah and uh, as he's saying that the scene's fading out yeah. and like it's it was just you know a beautifully sad thing you know with layers to unpack and i don't i don't know really what else to put into that other than to point out that uther cracks eventually right yeah well, maybe. Um, well, I think that I don't know how much I don't know if he shattered and if he became Felseed, but like mm-hmm. at some point he got impatient with people. He stopped being the perfect paragon of virtue. Yeah. Just when he you know started yelling at his uh, knights, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and trying to throw himself into the bottomless pit for a month. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about what he did to Bethel uh, in a few chapters because it comes up, but. I don't necessarily. I don't know if I'm going to necessarily put that in the bucket of things that Uther did wrong. We'll move past that because that's we flash back to the scene and uh, June starts crushing his spirit lines that link to pain because mm-hmm. he was like, ah, I don't have to crack because it doesn't have to hurt. Um, all right, so here's here's how our notes work. Here's how the sausage is made. My notes are in green, Inyasha's are in blue, and for like. So that's like the the quotes and then the comments of them. And then like the meta text of like, here's where we're at. We put in this uh, yellow highlight. I, I tended to be the one who writes those. And I was going to have Inyash say it because I've been doing a lot of the talking, but you want to challenge me on stuff. So yeah, um, I'll jump in. Zinya turns up and immediately starts asking about June's soul shenanigans. I have no idea when you figured out why she was so interested in it, but... It took me right up until he said why. Yeah, it wasn't the um, same for me. Okay, good. Because I'm not dumb. But, uh, <laughs> or, or we're both dumb. Well, I think she clearly wanted to do soul stuff to him. Hmm. But I was I was just wondering, like, how does she know all this stuff? Like, I'm like, oh, well, in hindsight, it's obvious because she just watched somebody's head turn to mush. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, she turns out not to be just a baddie, but a total fucking psycho. See, she that's goes to town point. on him. The, the, oh, okay. That's the point where I was like, what makes you think she's the total fucking psycho? Her first foray into torture is to go to town on him with a knife. Like 30 cuts, he's weeping blood across the chest. You know? Like, I don't think this she is didn't, her first time she torturing someone. It seems like she's a professional. No, it's her first time torturing him. Oh, him. Yeah, and okay. So, like, you know, she she could be... If she wants him to talk, she could threaten him first. She could do one light cut. But no, she she cuts him to ribbons, basically. Um, like I, I, it, all right. Uh, how, how are you saying that she's a professional torturer and not a total fucking psycho? <laughs> well, it didn't, to me, it didn't sound like she cut him to ribbons and she cut him like a whole lot of cuts that are shallow and painful, but not like life threatening. Cause if you cut 30 deep gashes in someone, they're going to bleed out and you won't ask him any questions. So it seemed to me like she was inflicting a ton of pain on him, um, you know, to, to get him willing to talk. 
Yeah, no, that's what she was doing. I, I, I guess I used the word ribbons because she, she just did a, a, an excessive number of cuts. I mean, I guess it um, depends on whether you think that someone has to be a total fucking psycho to torture someone. And, you know, I, I, th- I don't know. Maybe, maybe she is. Maybe you have to be a total fucking psycho to be a torturer. But I was just like, okay, she's, she's an interrogation specialist. I, 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 I wouldn't put her in like the fucking psycho, uh, like the Riddler boat. See, I think that. Uh, it's not impossible that a good person could have to torture somebody, mm. you know, kind of like um, uh, Liam Neeson in Taken or Taken 2 or Taken 3. I can't remember. <laughs> um, he tortures somebody. Okay. And like, the thing is, she she gets all up close and personal with it for the first, like, thing she's going to do to him. You know, if she had shocked him through his manacles, if she had poked him with a pain stick, you know, that would all be one thing. But she wants to get right up in it get her hands coated in blood like she's gross i guess i i don't know well, like for me once well, you're torturing people you've i don't know i i i it's it's you've passed a certain moral event horizon for me once you've started torturing people and i'm not sure where the different levels of torturing are but maybe if i was maybe if i was more into like discovering different types of torture i would have these degradation these various levels in my head I think the thought's occurring to me because at one point years and years ago, the question was put to me, like, what's the moral difference between, like, the World War II pilot who dropped bombs on a city and, like, a serial killer? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the pilot killed more people and is probably a decorated hero, mm-hmm. whereas the serial killer who killed five people is a psychopathic monster. Mm-hmm. And the main thing is, it's like, it's, it's the psychological distance from what you're doing. And she could have chosen to have that distance, but she wanted to get up close and personal. It's like if the fighter pilot could freeze time and run through and kill everyone with a machete instead, just because she thought it'd be more fun. Yeah. Yeah. So she, I don't know. She, she's, she's not my cup of tea. Okay. All right. Uh, there's also a, an entad called the pain stick. Yes. Which is funny. Um, so it does what does right. What it says in the box. Um, and, things get less funny when she drags solace in pain sticks her and then she still doesn't like june's answers yeah Uh, so after he turns his pain off his pain receptors um she pokes it she's like this is the pain stick and she just puts it up against his stomach and he looks down at it he's like ouch (laughs) and and just like you know he's such a fucking boss Mm. and uh I, i also just like we talked about bummer and tad's and it's like, you know, the guy down the street made, um, whatever, a swan statue that shits gold mm. and you made a pain stick. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the guy who made it was a really fucked up dude. And he was like, fuck yeah, I finally have a pain stick. Could be. I don't, I don't quite know what causes the forge frenzy, but, <laughs> um, based on the name, I'm guessing the pain stick's meant to be painful. I mean, it's obviously a stick. <laughs> <laughs> He's awesome. So epic. Yeah. Um, so she, uh, oh yeah. So she drags in solace Yeah. and then has a pistol pointing at solace's head. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, if she kills solace, who for reminder to the audience looks like a fucking child. Yeah. Like seven or eight. I've now. Nev- yeah. I've never been more in favor of her, of June soul raping the shit out of someone. Mm-hmm. Um, remember Jif, and Lissy and June's mom, they're all saints. You know, Zinnia is the bottom of this, of the, the ladder of shit people. Yeah. 
And then, like, the really crazy thing is, like, how little fanfare or anything there is. He just gives her an answer. She doesn't like it. She just, bam, shoots her in the head, walks out of the room. And I was like, holy fuck. That was so just, like, cold and abrupt. I had fucking shades of Buffy in it. Yeah, I paused and was, uh, I thought she was dead. Yeah. Um, I... I even put as like, I desperately hope this is some sort of illusion or something, but fuck. Um, Just now I need, I need this revenge train to get out of the station. Uh. And, but then like almost immediately, two paragraphs later, it it says my train of thought was cut short when solace winked at me. And I didn't know quite how to take that because on the one hand, I think maybe like he really could have played that out longer because it was such a, you know, big moment. But on the other hand, if you're going to play it out, it has to be for real, right? Like, if it was just a a decoy, then then if you played it out for a number of pages, and then it turns out, oh, just kidding, it was a it was a uh, illusion all along. Then that would really just be shitty and insulting. And so I'm glad I'm glad he didn't do it. That that it was kind of a mercy to the reader that he he was just like, oh, and she winked at me, so she's not actually dead. So um. So I, I came around to it after thinking on it for a bit, but at first I was like, "Oh, I guess I was disappointed that she was alive," because I like, <laughs> I just always want things to be the ultra maximum of grim dark you can get. And I was like, "Oh, th- th- this is a much better story," but you know, they, they could have killed the child and it would have been just awful forever. But I guess they already killed Fen and then they raped June, and so like it is pretty dark. I I, I don't know why I keep wanting things to get worse. Anyways, the interesting thing is that like. Zanaya thinks that Solace is dead, which is going to be important later. And it, it importantly, it shows us and June that Zanaya is entirely willing to kill his companions if she doesn't like the answers he's giving her. Like she's like, no, nope, I'm serious business. Don't fuck around with me. I'm going to go to the next one. And that is, you know, important for setting up the stakes of what's coming next because uh, we we know that not all of them have bullshit druid magic on their side. <laughs> Yeah, not all of them could tank a bullet. Hmm. Um, I I get what you're saying that like it it happened really fast the turnaround. That said, I, I'm with you on where you ended up with your line of thought that like if it was dragged out right up until June was ready to escape, mm-hmm. and then Solace gets up and dusts herself off, like that would have been so like I don't know. I felt like that would have been a drag. Yeah, um, feel like you could this was it. just awesome emotional whiplash. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, it, it sets the the evilness scale. And, you know, if we need more proof that she's a psychopath. Um, and it's, it's, you say that the it brought you to tears. I I thought she was dead. And, I you know, I sat and processed that for a few minutes. And then, uh, yeah, in my, my notes I took, I'm just like, damn, you know, hats off, Alexander. Like, it's, an, it's emotional. Um, I, I, you know, her being killed here was distinctly plausible, yeah, right? Yeah. She doesn't have the armor of being a companion. And uh sure looked like she got killed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so much so that I thought that the wink might have been imagined. Yeah. Um it wasn't until that she actually gets up that I'm like, oh thank fucking God. And then later, I don't know if I put this in the short notes or not, so I'll just say it now, but um he's arguing with the guards later, and one of them just shoots at at Solace and it could have been anybody. And at the time I'm sitting there typing notes. I'm like, okay, good. I'm glad things have calmed down. Cause if she got hit by a stray bullet, I was going to be fucking pissed because mm-hmm. she just survived getting shot. Mm-hmm. And then what's this guy do? He shoots at her. Yeah. And because June's, you know, 
colossal dick reaches out and catches the bullet, <laughs> it makes it, it makes it a little better. But yeah. I just like, come on, man. Um, yeah, in that scene, he catches the bullet and just gives the guy a dirty look, which like, holy shit, mm-hmm. you know that that awesomeness. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> The, this whole thing, she's interrogating June about the soul and like, you know, what happens if someone looks at it? How do you fix that? She doesn't like his answers. Well, it turns out that, um, Yaro had tried to soul fuck June or, you know, at least read his soul, but let's be real. He's going to soul rape him. Mm -hmm. Um, and got his brain smashed. Yay. (laughs) So he offers to help him in exchange for Palada's life because he's going to pretend to, you know, play along that Solace is dead. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I pulled up my last comment because I am still waiting for this moment. Um, he looks at her and says, there's no other cure, no other way of restoring their soul. And she had Zen- Zenaya hesitates for a moment, then leans down over Palada and presses the gun to her head. It says her life for my brothers. And I'm like, well, I'm sure June will capitalize on the chance to completely destroy these fucking monsters. Mm. I can't wait for her to get the pain sticks shoved so far up her ass that she'll, that June will be able to poke her brother with it at the same time. Oh, Damn. I imagine that being uh, impaled or otherwise penetrated by the pain stick would be radically uncomfortable. (laughs) And, you know, it's weird. Like, I'm like, you know, I don't know if I'm, I'm not fully a pacifist, like in my philosophy, but I am in my life Mm -hmm. and I I don't like violence in real life. Um, I have no, you know, like they talk about later, like June's uncle had that like fantasy of someone breaking in so he could to shoot him and stuff. Yeah. I don't have anything like that. Um, but I do love me some good revenge and stories. Hell yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in those, I let my imagination go wild and I'm like, Oh yeah, no, no, no fucking, you know, just take their heads together and shove the stain, the pain stick down both their throats and let them die. Like, you know, I, I can go to like insanely dark places because these people suck and they're not real. Mm-hmm. So, okay. <laughs> uh, you know what? That wouldn't be painless. It would not be painless. <laughs> so it wouldn't be chapter 182. That's right. Oh, uh, which starts out by giving us another. I think it's near the beginning here. Uh, another explanation between how soul and spirit interact, and uh, that the soul's values aren't innate to a person. They're there because of all the complex uh, emotions, emotions and thoughts and memories, all crossing wires at various points. And I thought, you know, that was really cool. And I'm glad we got the bonus explanation, so it was a little bit easier to understand what's going on. Yeah, there's another explanation thing I want to. Uh, point to light at, but I'm glad that you pulled that out because I, I feel like we got most of the way there when we were talking about soul value stuff back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's nice to have the story vindicate us because, uh, like, you know, we we, we talked about, um, you know, why were Tiff and Fen so high on his list or whatever. And, like, no, of course it would change throughout what's going on during the day, right? Yeah. Um, the hungry you are, the more food goes up on your values list. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, I think he was thinking of it in these terms because he was like, if I had to explain it to a five-year-old or explain it to a judge and jury about for who was trying me for the crimes I was about to commit. Um, <laughs> and that, that made me laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, like, all right, if I was trying to explain the crimes I'm going to, I'm about to commit, here's what I'd have to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he says something along the lines. I can't remember the, the lead into this, but he's talking about, um, uh, he says, my best guess at what my former instructor Folliter had done with his prison army was that he'd worked hard to alter all their values as well as micromanage the soul uh, and adapt it to the individual spirit, which he could only see through the shadow it cast. Um, and I meant to go back and read the parts where they talk about the anima, exa, and anima, whatever. Mm-hmm. 
and see if that made sense in terms of soul and spirit. Um, oh. And I can't remember what they said about it. So I'm kind of relying on your memory. And if we have time slash want to get into it now, but maybe the soul is the, the part that powers um, whatever cars and the part that goes to hell. And the spirit is the part that can't cross the plane. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't know if that actually jams with what, what Falter was saying. Right. Cause he doesn't know about the spirit. Right. So he talked about two kinds of souls or something. Yeah. It, but I'll have to go. I, I will just have to go back and read it. I think. Yeah. Um, Cause I don't remember, remember it that well. No, not from that long ago. It's been almost a year, man. That's a good point. It, it's not. It was quite a bit later that we got to falter, but it has been a long time. It's been like a year. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Speaking of time frames, uh, this is a perfect segue. So June's goal. It, this isn't. Uh, this isn't. You know, your front of the mill everyday soul rape. This is uh, hmm. subtle. Mm-hmm. He want. He he's writing functions in uh, Yarrow's spirit that will eventually make his value for June and I think Amaryllis rise. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they isolate him, you know, for a month, um, you know, he, he's he's not going to be like secretly loyal to June and uh, it, it won't go back to its baseline. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, there's obviously the moral mess of soul fuckery, but um but it'll look I, natural to to other people that are looking in. Yeah, I guess for me, I was more I was more curious about like just the actual plan. Like, I get that he needs Yarrow to at least act functional right now mm-hmm. and all that. But uh, you know, if if they confirm that Yarrow is coherent and they put him in isolation for a month, and a month later he's a big fan of June, like so what? They could do, they could be dead and buried a month ago by that point. That well, like, that's true. Maybe he was thinking like long term and. What if I'm here for a number of months being detained and tortured and stuff? It'll eventually pay fruit or pay out. Well, if they, fruit. if they, yeah, if they end up not killing this guy, then this will end up bearing fruit. But mm-hmm. it just struck me as like a, like, okay, great. So, you know, he gets out of this, they finish killing you. And then in a month he regrets it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess you're right. He's, he's kind of operating on the assumption that I'm going to get out of this without need of like, bargaining with this guy's life as a chip yeah um and if i'm in here for the long haul well i've got an ace up my sleeve eventually yeah yeah that's a good point um you know yara would would be slowly sympathetic to him mm-hmm. um i love that he wakes up and he's terrified and he sees solace's corpse and he's like what happened zin onion and june i assume menacingly you looked at my soul. You really shouldn't have done that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> what the fuck? Ah, sin. And I, I, I hope he's terrified. Mm-hmm. Um, and Onion. Mm. Man, my boy Onion. I thought we were hoping he was going to be secretly nice. You were? Yeah. I, I was hoping that he had layers. and that oh, he was. Oh, you, know, you can have layers yeah. and be mean. And each layer is just meaner than the layer above it. I mean, I suppose, but that, that doesn't go in the spirit of Shrek. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I was hoping he was going to be like, you know, I don't know, like a, a less, uh, a slightly less mean Severus Snape, mm-hmm. you know? Now, this guy could just be running the torture chamber and be secretly good underneath, but I sort of doubt that. Yeah, it's, I mean, I guess it's not impossible. Snape, it's not impossible. Yeah, Snape was kind of psychologically torturing children. Yeah, but he was also actually an asshole underneath too, like for the most part. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, 
he had he had growth mm-hmm. um but if he peeled back his layers at the beginning of the story you'd just find more asshole mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right l- last quote i had i pulled out because i i even mentioned it to you last week just because i was so stoked on it he's it, yaro's talking to his sister and they've got you know obviously master stranger protocols for you know soul fuckery and stuff but um uh, he says i really don't feel any different he looks down at the pain stick and licks his lips like nervously. He's like, please, I know what it's. And she pokes him with the pain stick and he screams and he's like, fuck, I was going to say, I know what it's like. You don't need to touch me with it. You dumb fucking cunt. And <laughs> my only comment was, yay. <laughs> <laughs> because he's getting that torture he deserves. Yeah. And, cool. she, and he called her a name. Oh, okay. And, nice. But yeah, I mean, like, it's just like, yay, everyone's uncomfortable. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, these two suck. But I, it was also just a really funny moment. I, it is. I, I pulled out like something right in the same time, which I had basically the same reaction as you did, where he's like, it's nothing suspect. You know that I was always good at linear protocol and you know I'm responsive to the pain stick. And she's like, are you arguing for your release? He's like, no, <laughs> no, of course not. And I'm like, Jesus. You can't. I just don't want the pain stick. <laughs> you, anything that you say that might be like, you know, a natural thing people would want to do like not get hit by the pain stick just makes it look even worse it's it's really fucked up it's like are you Mm. saying that you're not a witch because you know people that are witches often say they're not a witch and it's like fuck that's what i was gonna say it's like only a witch would say she doesn't want to be set on fire yeah right (laughs) god damn (laughs) so they they leave to you know discuss their thing and while he's gone, while they're gone, June is like, all right, what's the next step going to be? How do I get out of this? And I just want to say at this point, I was really super excited in finding out about how he gets out of this because it's like a really cool puzzle. And I I, fig- I thought there'd be some level of social manipulation involved, which there wasn't nearly that much. But like just the whole puzzle aspect of this sort of thing is I find, you know, far more interesting than just the combat thing. Like when we first um, were deciding whether to do three or four chapters and I was like, at first I want to do four chapters because I'm like, there's not much for me to talk about in these three. It's a lot of fighting and stuff. But then I was like, you know, somehow the Doofcast guys always managed to talk about a bunch of stuff in Worm, even though that was like 90% fighting. And last time there was a big fighting chapter, Steven found stuff to talk about too. So maybe I should just do three because there'll be a lot. And we ended up going with four afterwards. But like, the the I, I prefer the fighting where there's more puzzling to, to it, you know? Yeah, I mean, this this had all the fun of just, you know, again reacher or mm-hmm. um uh liam neeson and taken just like all of the the awesomeness but the the, the puzzling aspect was fun too i i you were like oh, i hope it's social manipulation and i'm like no he just murders his way to victory yeah um but but he, do, he does have to get creative to get get started there mm-hmm. and uh and then what, they I, what like- I liked about the Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, and then they have like all the wards that he's jumping around and he's attacked by three different things at three different angles. So there was, you know, there was a whole kind of super hot kind of thing to it. Oh, yeah. No, it was epic. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I, I'm not putting down the combat whatsoever. It's just like other than other than ta- repeating the combat. All I could say is that it was fucking tight throughout. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was fun about like the puzzle solving aspects were or like. It's all things that we could have figured out. If this was given to us as a final exam, we could have come up with the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, we was, we'd go back through the text, look at all the things he can do, which luckily is highly constrained because it's all about soul magic. Yeah. And no, he dumps points into soul so he can take his soul out of his arm and his arm is no longer bound by that manacle, right? Yeah. It's super clever. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
he's so while he's trying to think of like how to get out of uh the bonds he's thinking i wasn't sure i could hold out forever and if they weren't and if they weren't using my friends against me then i was pretty sure that they would come up with something against a man who couldn't feel pain and i'm like yeah it doesn't need to hurt while they cut your dick off dude right it that that's that would still suck so we need an escape plan and uh he bumps his soul magic so he can fuck you his way to escape goddamn straight it's the kind of cheating shenanigans that we love when our guy does it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what were you going to say? And, and not so much when Larkspur does it. Right. Well, uh, and, and later on, too, um, uh, Zenaya is doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I I don't know if I put it in my short notes or not, but I'm like, I would call it cheating, except for look at what June's doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so I, I pulled this out because I wanted to get your thoughts on this literarily. Um uh, he says, it seemed odd to me that they left us, left us in our underwear, given how cavalier they were about depriving us of our dignity in every other way, along with the casual use of violence and soul magic. Maybe they're trying to toe the line between PG-13 and a hard R. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, they shot a little girl in the head. They passed the hard R, right? Uh, um, You know, Americans... Like in a movie, they could have cut, you know, and looked at June's face while it was happening or something. Yeah. But- Americans are really weird about sex stuff. I remember um, watching The Quick and the Dead when it was on TV. There was a scene where uh, I believe it's Sharon Stone, one of the the hot leading ladies of the era, uh, was getting out of bed, and like there was there was I think it was just a straight up penny shot. But like in the TV version, they cut that out because you, you couldn't have that. It wasn't that big a deal, right? Uh, but then a guy gets shot through the head, and the camera like pans back behind him and you can see through the hole in his head and it's like dripping blood down and this was this was hosted like on a network where the hosts uh, introduce every commercial before they go to throw to commercial and they were like oh my fucking god you can put that on tv except not fucking because again pg-13 right you can see that kind of gore but you can't say fucking and i think americans who are weird i remember how when um uh, Harry was stripped naked by Voldemort in Methods of Rationality and made to just uh, stand there while Voldemort did all his crazy shit. And everyone was like, wow, that's some that's some little boy dick hanging out there. Man, that's some pedophilia. And like a lot of people were super focused on that. And I'm, I think it was just sometimes you just want to avoid all that shit. You're like, damn it, that's not what this is about. Let's just slap some underwear on there because I know that a percentage of my readers are going to fixate on this bullshit. Yeah, that that was my thought. Is I and I don't know if anyone who's reading MOR seriously was like, "That's pedophilia nonsense." No, what it is is it's proper security. Mm. Um, the I I think they they I, I enjoyed the memory of it where it's like you know Harry standing there, you know Dick blowing in the wind trying to think of a solution. Like that's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, it 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 is somehow funnier than him standing there in his underwear. You know, so like that, that whole badass stare down he has with Voldemort, yeah. you know, who's floating there, glowing red eyes and everything. And he's threatening Voldemort to, uh, to stop or he'll blow up the, the graveyard. He's doing that with his dick out. That, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I think that's why June has underwear here is yeah. because, you know, it, otherwise we'd have to just have the whole scene in our head with his dick flapping about and, like well let's let's be let's be honest with all the points he's put into fizz it wouldn't be flap uh, physical it would be flapping about it would be like you know flopping down onto the floor or something like bruising his knees the real reason he that they left his underwear on is because he could have just like slapped uh zania unconscious with it while he was chained to that table (laughs) Uh, but no i i (laughs) like i think so basically 
I think what Alexander Wales here is doing is pointing out, yeah, it's unrealistic they lift his underwear on, but uh, here's a meta note for you guys. Yeah, I, I know what's going to happen if his underwear comes off, so I'm literally straddling this line here. And uh, I think this is one of the few works where you could get away with that kind of thing, because it is such a meta work all the way through. 100%. No, I loved it. I, that was my, my conclusion, too. Is he was just like, yes, I, I made this decision on purpose. Yeah. Like that's Other than him putting an author's note... Right, right. Um, that, that's that's what he did here. So, so this isn't very PG thirteen. Solace makes some like horrifying bone armor for yes. uh, Palada and a bone sword for June. And Palada's just like, what the actual shit? Because like <laughs> this is the most gruesome thing we've seen Solace do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know June, not satisfied yet, says, "Can you turn the rest of the bodies into something useful? Smear their blood on me, wear their skin, <laughs> eat their flesh, and take their powers." Mm-hmm. Just like <laughs> Harry James Potter, Evans Varys would like a word with you. You've um, already got the Hufflepuff bones. You can't right. get any more. I think that he they they would have a fun competition to see who could think of the grossest ways to make bodies into weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really yeah, cool. Smear, you know, eat their flesh and take their powers, and it's like God, oh, slow your fucking roll, man. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to die. Take every advantage you can get. Oh, I totally get it. And yeah, I mean, if 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 it could have worked, it could have worked. I just liked how all those ideas were there for him immediately. He he. Mm-hmm. I my my question might have been, you know. Can you do anything useful with the rest of their bodies? I wouldn't have thrown out four ideas on the top of my head that were all like, I think grosser as they yeah they're grosser as they move along, you know. Wow. Um, yeah, he's I guess so, he's he's bloodlusting here. No, yeah, he's, and he's rampage. Yeah, he's rampaging. <laughs> so this was an interesting thing. Uh, while Solace and him are talking about the the what she can do with bodies and what she can't. Uh, June says, druids are aware of bacteria, aren't they? And, like, right up until he said that, I wasn't even sure if a bacteria existed on Arab. Like, is that... Was it mentioned somewhere before that bacteria exist on this plane? Or what? am I dumb for thinking they might not have? What's going on here? I know that we must have talked about it at some point. Because the idea of germs came up. You know, people get sick... On Arab. Yeah, but it's a um, fantasy yeah. land. They might get sick because of, you know, the the humors in the air or whatever. Yeah, rat rot doesn't exactly look like you could treat it with antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, you couldn't, right? It, it did need a magical cure. So, mm-hmm. it, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, you know, my mind goes to things like, well, how would their gut process their food? It's like, fuck you, magic. That's how. Right. Um, so, yeah, I guess it has, I mean, it has bacteria because Solis confirms it. I think um, one of the most interesting things about pretty much any fantasy novel that is read nowadays is readers always assume that the um the world that the the fantasy is taking place on is spherical and that it rotates around its sun and I mean the authors do too in every almost every case I've seen so far but like there's absolutely no reason to think that like it's a fantasy world maybe it's a flat world like Arab maybe uh the sun <laughs> rotates around it like Arab like why would bacteria necessarily exist? I that did not seem like a given at all to me. No, you're 100 percent right. And to you know the the cherry on the cake of the insanity of of Arab's uh, solar system is that it doesn't have time zones. Yes, for wherever the sun is in the sky, it doesn't matter where you are on the eighty thousand mile plane. It's the you know the sun's the same angle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean the the sky is magic <laughs> like <laughs> what do you need bacteria for yeah. no perfectly legit okay um uh, 
Yeah. So he's going around murdering dudes running through the hallways here. And we see the first two, like he gets names for it. And then after that, every time he kills a guy, um, he says, he gives us like in, in brackets, the, the word defeated in bold with the exclamation point. It's like, you know, so-and-so was defeated, but he just shows us like the defeated at the end instead of the entire pop-up. And I thought it was really interesting that like June, he's still getting the full pop-up, but this is the first time in the book that like, he doesn't relay either before we either got the entire pop-up or like a, um, a notice that like pop-up after pop-up flashed up in my ears as I shot them all in my eyes as I shot them all. And in this, this time it's like, we just get that little tag at the end of the sentence. And I think it's kind of a sign that he's getting calloused that like, he can't even be bothered to care about the pop-ups. He doesn't relay them to us. He's just like, yep, defeated as confirmation. I don't know. Do you, do you have thoughts about this? Is he, is he becoming a callous murderer? I threw out those, the, the, that same idea and another one in my notes, uh, that, cause yeah, I noticed that too. Like, we're not getting line breaks with bolded text. It's just like, it's just quickly letting us know that they're defeated. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, my, yeah, one thought could be just like, he's not even reading the names right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be that he's busy, you know? So like, oh, yeah. he's just dismissing them and, and ignoring them. But yeah, the callous thing definitely is, is plausible. I think what it was doing, like, at least as far as my experience of reading it was that it gave me this sense of rush you know, this urgency. Mm, okay. And like the story can't even be like bothered to slow down long enough to tell me who just fucking died. Oh, and so that's a good point. It, it's running as fast as possible while still letting us know that he's defeating people. Yeah. And so I think it was going for a vibe. Um, but, Oh, cause yeah, we also do learn that they do have names cause some of them, you know, like you said at the beginning and later on get them. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are popping up, but while he's, while he's rampaging, we're just being told that he's killing them. Yeah. So yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah, we, I think we had similar thoughts there. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, the experience was, oh, he's, he's running real fast, just ripping through these people. Mm-hmm. And, oh yeah, the, the guards were just like these two dipshits with, you know, off to get coffee. I just, I remembered like just laughing to myself about that. Cause I'm like, that's. That's not how you run your torture prison. Um, <laughs> you know, I I thought this was like someone's basement, and then like what they can't hire like real mercenaries, but like no, this is like an actual fucking job, and they're just like, yeah, you catch the Quidditch match this weekend, and like or whatever it is, you know, they yeah. talk about, and they're like, oh shit, our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> well, now it's your life. Yep, and uh, we get to see June use some ink magic. Um, I, it's not clear like how he's making this stuff or what the constraints are. So I can't like toss out ideas for things he's to try to build. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is clear that he has a stomach full of magical ink for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not clear to me if he has like a special stomach that he stores it in or if it's his regular stomach and he didn't digest any of it in the last 10 hours or if he's just always full of magical ink just in case. Like does he drink a big shot of it every day or, or a jug? I assume he filled up before he went into the the castle with Amaryllis just in case to have it like, you know, like he sewed the bones into him and the gem. But yeah, yeah, it's interesting that it didn't move out of his stomach over the 10 hours. Maybe it's like magically kept in there or something. Yeah, I, I'm wondering if it could be some level of still magic he gets to keep even while unconscious. Because it's just like holding something still inside him. Mm. Um, but Or it could be some property of the magical ink. But yeah, he yeah. makes a... Uh, chakram or chakram. chakram it's those 
it's those bladed rings yeah. um, that I just remembered the... Sina, Warrior Princess. The, it was her signature weapon. Oh, nice. It was also the weapon of these of a group of people in Berserk. Kushans? I can't remember. It's been a long time. But uh, yeah, they got those and they're fun. Um, so this one teleports, which means it's magic. Mm-hmm. And it's his his counter in case they come across a revision mage. Yeah. So he, he can one shot somebody with it and it can't be revisioned because it's a magical teleporting uh, chakram rather than a regular one. Right. They can't undo teleported things to before the teleportation. Yeah. So yeah, that's awesome. So high five. Oh yeah. All right. Well, let's hear about some transgressions in chapter 183. <laughs> All right. One, one more just, you know, cause it's a nod to the, the what Yarrow said. Um, they're like, the hallway expands. I'm picturing this kind of like circular arena looking thing. And uh, of course, what's her bitch is standing at the far end of it. And there's a bunch of guards. And um, she says, this area is laced through with annihilation wards that will kill you. If you approach, if you attack me or come any closer, I will kill you and let the demons have their way with your souls. And he says, right. And he starts walking towards her. Thing is, if you just go giving into any old threat, then you end up being ruled by threats. Mm. And, (laughs) Just like her brother said, right? Yep, exactly. But he's saying it with, you know, much more uh, uh, gumption and badassery than uh, Yaro did because he's just sitting there packing a pipe. He's walking into, you know, a room full of people with guns and annihilation wards. Yeah. And it's just awesome. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, the you know, thing is, uh, that's just, I can't let you just boss me around by threatening me. And mm-hmm. his strategy with regard to, to the potential annihilation wards was to hope that they weren't there. Um, <laughs> the worst possible strategy. <laughs> not, not a great plan, but any character is important enough. Won't just explode because they stepped in the wrong spot. So yeah, he does it, manage know, to lose his leg. Right. But he doesn't die. Yeah. You know, I imagine that if uh, you threw a thief from a, tower window they'll break their leg but they'll limp away heal and then come back you know Mm. so um no yeah i mean i think i I don't know if he's narratively thinking or if he's just you know really high on being a badass yeah he's just rampaging yeah but the thing is he's 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 got too many awesome zingers to be just rampaging but that's true i mean i don't know it's it is just uh like no fuck you you're going down and he's doing the little like kind i i think no that was when they were running towards this way he had his hand out yeah. ready to get his stuff ruined like the heil hitler um, salute right you know just and i mean you know i bet it doesn't even look that much like it but it's just because he you know grew up online yeah in the 2010s where it's just like oh yeah that shirt that's what people if someone saw a picture of this it would not look good in a newspaper um so he uh he burns into one of his unicorn bones because he's still got those uh, buried in him, which is awesome. Mm. And oh, and he gets his magic back because he enters this room, um, which also, of course, means he's going to have to fight a bunch of mages in here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, he gets his warder's sight. And then a fraction of a second later, they open fire and he dies almost instantly. And he asks, have you ever been playing a video game and chose exactly the wrong moment to save? <laughs> yes. Yes, we've all been there. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> but you have I, a, a Ninja Gaiden save story. Yeah, I my brother was playing this, and Scott, well, after refresh my memory, I'm pretty positive. Um, I think it was the first one, and this did like the auto save, but it would it wouldn't give you multiple auto saves to go back to. Mm-hmm. And it auto saved as he entered a boss chamber, 
and he had like no health. Oh no. And I remembered he had put some time into this game and tried to, you know, over and over to beat this boss without getting touched, but it was just, it wasn't doable. And I think that was the end of the play. Like, I don't think he started over. Oh, lame. Um, Some details of that story might be, might be off, but I think in rough strokes, it's about right. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good lesson in uh, game design now. Like if I go to like whatever games I'm currently playing and hit load, it'll give me like the last 10 auto saves it did, you Mm. know? Um, that was a fucking good game and i don't know i despite the fact that yeah that is that sucks it it almost feels true to the original ninja gaiden that that it did that but no you're right that's that's bad game design that shouldn't happen i think it's just like it'd be one thing if uh you know you're outclassed in a boss fight that's that's fine but um having it saved for you yeah presumably overriding any other save you made and then um now you're at the beginning of a boss battle, which in most good games, you don't start a boss battle with no health, right? Yeah. It, it loads you up with some stuff beforehand. So, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know, maybe he took some fall damage on his way there. I can't remember what happened, but just the, you know, I, I was just like, uh, okay, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. And honestly, June's not in that much better of a position. Um, you know, his, his working strategy is to like, take some of a void shot with his hand. So like it only goes through part of his skull mm-hmm. and uh, when his knee and part of his leg bones get annihilated, he's like, well, I'll just, you know, flop on that leg while I hop around one footed. And yeah. um, it's just the, <laughs> so he, he gets all the way up to uh what's her name? Um, Zenaya. Yeah. And uh, tries to reach the wards. And I think it destroys his arm. And then, he gets up to you know on the next run and shoots a blood spear through her, and mm-hmm. of course her clothes stop it because they're magic. And I'm like, that's <laughs> where I was thinking. I would I'd be tempted to call this cheating, but just look at what June did. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, it's it's so epic. And then he gets to do the thing where he oh I think yeah then he applies still magic through the um the blood and she's frozen and uh then that's when he lets everything collapse you know the timelines mm-hmm. and. I just, I love how disorienting that must be for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, like what happened in the library, you feel bad about it. Uh, oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like that that one you didn't get to enjoy for like, just like the aha, like, fuck you, you guys are gonna be so traumatized by this horrifying thing that happened. <laughs> right. In this one, you get to enjoy that part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, holy shit, we just tr- tried to kill and actually killed him many, many times and he lived through it anyway. Yeah, he just got to watch him, like, anime his way through this room. Yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah, uh, fuck this. And, like, half the guards just throw their shit down, and they're just like, yep, okay, I'm, you win. We're, mm-hmm. not, we're not doing this. <laughs> Don't want to fight an elder god. Right. Uh, uh, before I continue, my next note is after, you know, after he's he's uh, won and taken, you know... Uh, the fight's over and then i don't have see any other notes from you the rest of the chapter is that right or did you just run out of time yeah. for notes i ran out of time slash forgot slash like we've covered i think everything i wanted to hit okay like i, I can always find more badass things to pull out, but we hit all this stuff and I'll, I'll respond to all yours so okay then i will just finish up with mine then yeah i, I think the only to- thing that you got to do is just to mention that this is right after june says oh guess we got to soul soul fuck some people yes <laughs> yeah Oh, can you still hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, cool. My my audacity stopped for some reason, apparently. But okay. Oh no. Yes, I will just hope that uh, this thing is still recording on uh, on the the Zencaster side. Weird. Sounds good. 
Okay. So, anyways, yes. Uh, Palda and him are talking. Whoa, hit my microphone. Palda and him are talking about what to do here uh, with all these hostages they have and how they're going to get their stuff back and everything. And uh, Palda says, "Look, if you're going to soul fuck anybody here, which he's going to, uh, he's saying like, yeah, I, I want my stuff back. I'm going to soul fuck people here until they tell me where it is." And she's like, "Okay, fine. In that case, we're going to kill everyone here to make sure there's no witnesses." And June is like you're talking about killing people because that's better press. And she's like, yeah, you're talking about soul fucking someone because you want your things back. And first of all, get the stuff is a very serious game. I, I have you played the games before where you lose your stuff when you die and then you have to go get the stuff back. Um, no, but dark souls does something similar with like your um, resources that you accrue, but okay. uh, you can't, yeah, you know, you can't stop playing. Get the, the stuff is important. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But also like I, I, Seriously, Palda has a point here. Like he's he's going to soul fuck people because he wants some entads back. That's that's um I'm not sure that's better than than this mass murder for press. They they're both equally bad, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, for me the part that jumped out on that was like he's like, "Well, I want my stuff. I guess I have to soul fuck somebody." And it, it it the idea of asking nicely didn't they didn't even float that idea first. Mm. They're sitting there debating this idea like it's like their only their only option. And I'm like, you can go over and ask nicely and or threaten them right. before you start soul fucking them. Yeah. And it turns out that that's sufficient. Yeah. That, like, I, it, when in doubt, try to be nice. <laughs> well, you know? I'm not sure try to be nice was what really worked here because he did end up, you know, killing another two people and cutting someone's fingers off in, in the battle. This is the You're part right, where not- he... When, when, when in doubt, try being restrained first. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah this is the part where the guy shot at Yes, <laughs> this is the part where the guy shot at um at uh, Solace, and as you said, his dick caught the bullets. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Fucking a, fuck this guy, mm-hmm. and then he passion magics that guy, I think, into smithereens and cuts off another guy's fingers. Yeah. Um, and Solace, at some time around here, heals June and then collapses from exhaustion. So she's uh, she's out of out of the action, but June, I think, has bones again or something. Some facsimile thereof he gets his leg back basically yeah because before it was sliced through in the just in the bones so it was kind of floppy and useless and like he had a hole in his lung that i think is better now right that too Um, yeah 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 he's pretty he got he got fucked pretty good so yes uh but so this guard this is a fucking (laughs) badass and like seriously smart guard he comes like back holding his fingers and holding out his uh fucked up hand and June's like, all right, I put your fingers back on. You tell me what I want to know. That's your plan. And the, the guard nods. And like, he, that's a fucking badass for a muggle, dude. He's just like, oh, shit, I'm crippled. I'll never have this hand again. I bet this guy, this demigod right here can fix this. I, I'm going to pick my fingers up and try to make a deal with him. I, I was really in admiration of him. Yeah, same here. I it, Like, we have no suggestion so far that june any of june's magic can be geared towards healing right um well he's, but he's like well magic. i just watched you oh that's true yeah well i don't know if he saw the bone magic in action oh the guy yeah the uh, guard didn't know yeah i mean unless he knows how unicorn bones work but like i'm sorry uh, I thought you meant like we didn't know oh no yeah we knew but the yeah. guard was just like i saw i saw you do all kinds of impressive shit i bet you can fix my hand right mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um and june is like I think that he's just, I think he's ramp in rampage mode. Mm. Um, he's, he thinks like, I wanted to kill him. I'm normally not this bloodthirsty, but 
uh, you know, now he's coming at me with like, oh, sure, I'll tell you, but only in exchange. And I'm like, no, I'm not done making deals. Fuck this guy. You just tried to kill me. And um, yeah, but before before he could talk himself into cutting his throat, uh, he grabs his hand and heals him. Yeah. And I'm really glad that he did because he promised that he would. And reputational effects are important, I think. Also, just, you know, being true to your own character is also important because then after this, he's going to be like the guy who makes important promises and then breaks them because it's convenient for him. And that becomes, you know, a little bit more part of his identity. And I don't want that to happen, but yeah, you know, it's just like you follow through on cutting off dicks. If you, if you threaten to cut off dicks, you also follow through on finger healing. If you promise to finger heal. Yeah. I, uh, I, I was mainly just glad. I mean, yeah, you're right. Reputation and being true to your word, but also it's just a nice thing to do. Like, yes, this guy tried to kill you. Yes. He works at, fantasy guantanamo bay but like it i don't eh, know i think i honestly i'd say fuck him but but you made a promise and so you honor your promise that's a good point i think i it's weird because here i am talking about you know seeing how far i can shove the pain stick up both yarrow and zinnia's ass right <laughs> yes. but um and also like well but it's just a guy with a job we should you know give him his his fingers back and i i guess i hate them more because they're clearly super into it and he's here for you know a paycheck but granted he's here for a paycheck and not somewhere else what makes you um, think they're super into it i mean i guess you had the thing about like his chest but at this point she had seen her brother turned catatonic by something she's probably at least a bit freaked out by what's going on with him and she wants to show that she's serious and i mean she i guess she murdered a seven-year-old there's that yeah she she, she dragged in a, a child tortured her with the with the paint stick and then shot her in the face yeah. and for whatever reason brought them to this you know black site 100 miles away from civilization mm-hmm. like so i mean maybe they're not super into it but she i get the feeling that she wants to be here and wants june here more than this guard does you know yeah i guess i'm less hung up about it being personal because yeah if you're, if it's you're, weird i I recognize the uh, dissonance, and yet I'm I'm finding that I have no no satisfactory explanation for it. Yeah, um. <laughs> and also like the guard, I guess you you don't have to try to dissuade the guard against um, disincentivize the guard against guarding you personally because he's just going to guard whoever's there. Whereas getting personal revenge on someone who singled you out, like Zinnia for for extraction, that is uh, more more of a good reason behind that, emotionally speaking. Yeah, I think yeah, emotionally speaking, it makes per- I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, the other thing too is that this guy's name is you know prison guard. Um, well, if you, you know, want it, to find out his name, you can kill him. <laughs> What's your name? You know what? Fuck it, I'll find out. He just shoots him in the face. <laughs> right. um, yeah, the uh, oh, the other revelation we had before he knocked out. Um, Z- Z- Why am I blanking on it? Zinnia. Zina- yeah, Zinnia is It's like Zendaya without um, the D, right? Yeah, I think that's what we're gearing for, and that works great. Um, is that uh, Raven's not here, um, which I sort of suspected, just because I figured that there's no way Raven could be kept this way, but June was, and June's a badass, so I'm not sure. But I just assumed that she wasn't, and I didn't really have any reason to believe that up until it was confirmed. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently, uh, what uh, uh, Zinnia threw her dress at um at raven when the gas failed to knock her out yeah and so because it didn't occur to me until palada was like would this even work you know since she can't sleep mm-hmm. um and i'm like can't sleep is that the same thing as can't be unconscious um 
or like doesn't have to sleep. Is that, is that the same thing as can't? Like I wasn't sure. Yeah. Um, and like Jun doesn't Jun. have to sleep with that magic ring, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, so she, I, I just, I, I wanted to just paint in your head the mental picture of like, Oh good. The gas got him. And then you see Raven over there, like gearing up in Valkyrie mode mm. and like shit. And you're just like, trying to shimmy out of your dress as fast as possible so you can yeet it at this demigod across the room like awesome <laughs> maybe it was like the really quick easy to pull off summer dress or in fact maybe it was just like an ant that you can grab it and peel it off you like uh the superman thing that's yeah it however it worked i just love the idea of just like shit oh yeah my clothes and just take it off and just like throw grab run like mm-hmm. uh Anyway, apparently that worked and they had, you know, an escape route and everything, but I'm looking forward to how all this, you know, comes to a head here. Yeah. Uh, Yarrow is apparently in a prison cell somewhere, you know, under observation and no one knows their chain of command. Um, <laughs> you know, who's your boss? Uh, that, that corpse over there. Well, who's his boss? I don't know. It's not my job to know that. And it's like, okay, first of all, I do love the operational need to know security, right? Mm-hmm. But who is this guy? What what is he told to do in the event that his boss gets killed on the job? Who's he going to go tell about it? Well, I don't know. He'd probably find just whoever else is in the hallway and be like, "Hey, uh, let's let's find HQ because my boss is dead." Yeah, my boss died. I don't know who to tell. Like, <laughs> Can you point me to your boss on, a, on the? Yeah, right on a on a on the whiteboard back in the break room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, boss is dead. Please contact this employee. Exactly. Yeah, it's anyway, it, it just had a kind of funny um vibe for me cuz now that June's winning, I'm able to like laugh and enjoy stuff. So yeah. uh okay. Well, I think that's all I got for this and now we can change change gears here. Yes. Um, so I loved this chapter and I have a fuck ton of notes on it and I was just scrolling through and it looked like you didn't have any notes. Do you need some time to put some things in or how do you want to roll with this? I will bounce off your stuff. I bet we pulled out a lot of the same things and I remember basically everything I did. You know, like I finished reading a couple days ago. The reason it takes me a while to get the notes to you is I clean them up. The formatting is stupid. Mm-hmm. And so that takes like seriously an hour. Oh, Jesus. Um, maybe, maybe 30. I don't know. It feels like it takes forever. Yeah. Um, sucks. But no, I remember all the stuff I want to say for this one. Um, so no, we're in, we're in good shape. Okay. Well, 184, The Further Adventures of Valencia the Red. What did you think when you saw that title? I actually pulled out a note from the title, and I was like, oh, good. We get to see what the fuck they're up to. Oh, nice. And hopefully get some evidence about whether or not she's, you know, got a uh, an actually good plan or if she's, you know, slipping into the dark side. And uh, it's one of those, like, interjection moments, um, uh, interlude mm. things, right? Yeah. Like, we just had a climactic scene. And it's like, okay, while you guys catch your breath and enjoy the high from that, what's Valencia been up to? Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you think you have a better idea of whether she has a good plan or or not? Yeah, totally. Okay. All right. Well, we start off with this dude named Horace, who is uh, apparently not the betrayer. He is just a regular dude in the city. Uh, and it starts off... Wait, with, who is Horace the betrayer? Because the name rings a bell. He, he's the guy that betrayed the emperor in Warhammer 40k lore. And okay. split off half the space marines to join the forces of chaos. I might have learned that through osmosis somewhere, or I just have heard the name elsewhere. But um, an Egyptian deity, Eye of Horus, that sounds about right. Okay, whatever. Cool. Sorry. Oh, yeah, no problem. Um, but yeah, he it starts up about him telling us how much he loves the unplanned spaces and the way they 
twist and bend and and um where the real treasures are where there's the crooked places and every window has to be custom fit and i think this is really beautiful writing and also it's supposed to make us empathize with him right because everybody feels this way we all like kind of more natural growth things than planned straight lines um i don't know if that's a universal thing or not but what it does is like give you something about this guy that like we know about him and and if we don't necessarily share the like we can we can sympathize with it like so it's it's you know it might as well just say you know he really enjoyed this food he had a pet dog that he's looking forward to seeing like it just makes him a you know a nice guy that we're like oh we're we're all rooting for horace now yeah Um, but it's not just like food and pet dog because those are so easy these like give you a feeling of his sense of aesthetics and and the the looks little nooks and crannies he likes to find fuck now that i think about it this ties in perfectly to what he's looking for a place to belong a warm kind of family thing shit i didn't even notice this when i was reading the first time i did um i so the second it started talking about unplanned places and stuff like that i'm like oh it's gonna be bethel and then he walks in and like talks about just how warm and welcoming it is and how it's got this great vibe to it and i'm like oh this is part of her therapy Mm mm-hmm like to be the coziest, warmest house ever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that. I mean, the fact that it appeals to Horace's aesthetic, I guess that's why we're getting his POV and not some other customer. Yes. Um. So yeah, that that all makes sense. And then yeah, he said there's planned and unplanned um buildings too, or whatever it was. Uh, and then he goes on to say there's planned and unplanned people. So like three different times he sees everything as planned or unplanned, and uh, it makes him feel like a really strong character. I love that. That is the thing he keeps coming back to. And I'm like, I'm reading this. I'm like, I can't believe Alexander's putting all this effort into just like a one-off character in an interlude. And that makes me think like, maybe we're going to see this guy again, but it doesn't feel like it when we're done reading this. It really feels like it's a one-off that it was just beautifully put together. Yeah. I, you know, so many things like this feel like they could be explored a lot more. Um, Parsman's going to be my go-to example. I think, you know, forever, but, um, you know, it could be that this was sort of like an idea, like just, and I'm not sure what it's like to have an idea for a character as a writer. Um, and it's like, oh yeah, I kind of got like this shape of a thing. I wonder if I could put this somewhere, but I've already got all the characters I wanted. Oh, you know, this is a great opportunity for just another person's random point of view. I'll put it in, in, in theirs, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, just, he wanted the idea on paper and found a place to put it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So he says, talking about planned and unplanned people that, uh, a baker's son could be a planned person and a maid could be an unplanned person. And that both the women who worked the sweet shop were unplanned people to a degree that Horace had never seen before. And I, first of all, I wanted to know what, if you think this is a valid way of looking at people like planned people or unplanned people. It feels a lot like shoving them into like Hogwarts houses. Okay. Yeah. That's um, fair. I mean, I, if you, if, if forced to pick, I could put everyone into one of those two buckets, but I don't know if it's useful. The most ac- yeah, most most useful or accurate lens through which to view everybody. What do you think of his assessment that uh, Valencia and Bethel are the like the most unplanned people he's ever seen? <laughs> I mean, it's funny because it, it they're probably the most planned people he's ever seen. Oh, you think? I mean, they they've been crafted for centuries to be in June's party. Like, oh, the, the world partway revolves around them. Yeah. Well, okay. In that, in that 
respect in actual you are cosmic sense, yeah. they're extremely planned. Right. So from but from his kind of perspective, I think what he's getting at is like they seem out of place. Like, you know, it uh you know, Baker might have a son to like continue the family business. Mm-hmm. Um a uh you know, whatever profession could do the same thing. These people, these, this, this doesn't make sense to me. Why are they here? This feels unplanned. I think that's what he's going for. Um, I think it's a bit more than that. It's, it's like Valencia originally, her plan was just to be an empty canvas that demons inhabited and she could be studied. And like, she broke free of that. And now she's like adrift in the world and literally trying to find out who she is and what this world is and how she fits into it. And, you know, is is completely freeballing it here. And then, like, Bethel is kind of the opposite, but, like, she's been around for 500 years and has been shaped drastically just by things that have been done to her and are completely out of her control and has just been reacting to that kind of stuff for a long time before she took charge herself. And even when she took charge, she's, like, not great at making the environment around her. So I, I see what he means by the most unplanned people ever. Like they have, they have no life path that either of them can discern. They just kind of wound up here. Right. Yeah. And yet it's, it's hard to square that with the fact that like the creator of the universe explicitly, you know, is, has a, has the, has things. If he didn't put them here himself, exactly. He kind of had a hand in it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they, the creator of the universe probably didn't have that much of a hand in Horus's existence. Right. And so um, it's, it's just kind of funny because you're right. Like from Horus's perspective and the way you laid it out, totally. But if you zoom out to like the way things actually are totally not. Yeah. It, it's a fun middle ground there. Yeah. Um, and there, this is a candy shop, which like what, what cuter thing for <laughs> rehabilitating Bethel could they do than sell candy? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all ripped off earth candy, which means it's free. Mm-hmm. And the idea occurred to me, they could open a McDonald's. <laughs> that would be horrible. That would be the opposite of a warm, welcoming, nice little place. You're right. It would be busy and gross, but uh, I mean, it wouldn't be any work if you could just teleport the food into existence. But, uh, you know, if they ever if they ever need money, you know, they have a hundred billion served, Inyash. <laughs> you have to respect that. <laughs> Do you think that uh, you, we are planned or unplanned or more, if you had to lean more towards one or the other? Which Hogwarts house do you think you belong in? I mean, so uh, I would say, oh, see, this is a perfect example of why this isn't a good framing. Hmm. Um, Like my mom wanted to have kids since she was, I don't know, old enough to want them, right? Mm -hmm. So my my parents intended on having children. However, you can't intend on having twins. That's true. And so I've always joked that my brother and I are each half of an accident. <laughs> nice. So we're, because we weren't, you don't plan on two. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So uh, I have no idea how to answer that question for myself. Okay. What about you as the, as the eldest son? Dude, it's weird because like, I, I want to say at first, so my parents have this crazy thing where they're super unplanned because they fucking fled their home country when it was under communist rule and just went, came here and did the best they could and cobbled things together. But like they had a plan for me, right? Like I had the, the traditional American upbringing as much as was possible for like, you know, an immigrant with, with English as a second language. 
Um, but like, you know, they put me through school. I went through all the normal stuff. They had a plan for me to go to college, but like, then that went off the rails and I had the major depression thing and I dropped out of college and just bounced all around life. I ended up in this weird rationality thing somehow ended up doing fucking an audio book of a Harry Potter fan fiction, which somehow got big and it felt extremely unplanned. But like now I'm looking around at my life and I'm like, Hmm, I'm living in the same suburb I grew up in. I've basically am continuing the family business that my parents started, even though I took like a, a more than a decade break from it. It, if you were to like just look at my life when I was born and say, I bet, you know, if his life goes according to plan, this is where he'll be when he's in his early 40s, it would be right on that plan. And so I have no idea what, how, how this, how to quite fit it in. I went off plan and ended up back on the plan somehow. You took the long way there. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Took the scenic route. No wife and kids, though. So at least that part of me is still a rebel. Arr! Nice. <laughs> oh well (laughs) um so uh the they're talking with horace and uh rosa is valencia and she's writing devils all the time we find out later but uh we can tell that she's writing devils because she has huge insights into him and uh while she's looking at him she's saying like yeah we've only been here about a week uh but we don't really sell um she says this place feels lived in, even though we not it's no, that's not really true. It feels warm and comfortable, um, but we don't sell that. We don't sell a mood because I guess maybe you could in a fantasy world, but that fantasy world is close enough to our world where you don't sell moods generally. You sell coffee, or you sell the alcohol in the club, or you sell the candies, or you sell the games in the game store. Even though those are just the things to keep the place open. And oftentimes what you're really there for is the mood of the area. And I kind of wish that there weren't more, that it wasn't more socially normal just to sell a mood because that's, that's what I go to things often for. It's weird. Cause she's kind of like lying in his face. Uh, you know, the thing is places sell moods all the time. Like, there's the extreme version of like a cat cafe, right? Mm-hmm. We sell coffee, but also you can hang out with cats. Yeah. But what they but sell is every the bar, right? But every bar is selling its mood, you know, because you can go next door and buy booze. Yeah, I mean, you know, why choose this bar? We're here. You're here for this ambiance, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's true, but you can't to monetize it. You have to sell alcohol. Like if you have a podcast to monetize it, you sell usually ads, sometimes Patreon subscriptions. But you know, that's not that's not really your product, right? No, no. But I guess I mean. Yeah, the, the thing that puts money in the register is the transaction of alcohol at a bar. But the reason people are coming to your bar and not the one next door is because your bar is different. You know what? You're right. I guess it's a distinction without a dis uh, a difference without a distinction or a distinction without a difference. Which way does it go? I think the second way. Okay, um, but but it is it. It's interesting to to think about because uh, like they're here, yes, ostensibly selling candy, but they're not paying rent or whatever. Yeah, yeah they don't yeah. have bills. Like they're this, they're here for uh for Therapy. purely therapeutic reasons, and the candy is a byproduct. Yeah, um, which is why they don't mind giving it away. Um, it's uh you know they don't they don't work to make it. They don't have a, a limited supply. Um, it's just uh the other like you said, um, she's got a devil in her all the time, which we can tell, and she says later. But 
she just railroads him this whole conversation mm-hmm. in a way that like at the beginning feels kind of welcoming like oh she's insightful like you know a really whatever emotionally attuned person you know oh you're here because you like the vibe right but then she's just like you know slamming him left and right and before he knows it, he's on his way out the door with a sheet of paper with names on it and he's like well i guess i'm gonna go ask this girl on a date like Mm -hmm. it it was all a very weird interaction it was absolutely awesome she basically gave him luck she's like the i i have done all the random encounters for you i have found what would best suit you like here have these numbers and go forth and interact with them and see what sparks of it and like jesus christ man if valencia had a life luck service that she could just sell based out of the candy shop that would i i don't even know how much that would be worth it would be amazing just hooking up other people's lives together that would match together well is the most amazing service yeah i i mean yes that that's all fine and dandy i think what what was weird and it's the kind of thing that he would have chosen if he had full understanding of the situation mm-hmm. like oh i i'm being set up on a blind date with somebody that i know i'll get along with yeah you bet but the thing is like all of this just happens to him and yes it's something that is good and that if he could have consented he would have mm-hmm. but it i I just, I can't help but shake off like, or I can't shake off the vibe that she, she authored his life for the purpose of this conversation and pushed in a direction that it wasn't going to go in for the better. Totally. It's just weird. Right. Um, no, I don't think it's, I, I think she did great things. She like turbocharged luck, basically like all the time you got to go out there and just put yourself out and try to bumble into situations that, that something sparks and you find. And she, just did that really fast for him because she already knew all the different connections and how they could hook up and what the best ones would be. Like she's, I, I don't think, I don't think she did anything other than what would have happened naturally if he just put himself out there more. Yeah. That's what I mean. That, but that she took the reins of his life and yes, steered him where he wanted to go, but he wasn't driving. It's, and I'm not saying that's wrong. Well, I'm I mean, just saying it. How much are you when you looked over and saw um, your significant other's Facebook picture that one time, wherever you did on the screen? Like, how much were you driving your life and holding the reins there? That was just like pure dumb luck, right? Oh, I know, but that's, if I, that's if all I, she did. Yeah, but like it would have been weird if like the the friend I was visiting secretly invited me over, knowing the future, and set all that up. Like it would have had the same outcome and I'm happy that it had the, had the outcome, but it would have just been weird not being in control. And like, yes, I, I wasn't in control when, I, when it happened my way, but um, there's this sense of it. And again, I, I don't think she's doing anything wrong. It's just like, it's weird. You know, he's going to look back in, you know, 30 years after their kids are all, you know, um, I guess they'll be well done with college at that point, whatever. They're all in their postdoctorate Athenaeum classes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thinking about how he met his wife, and it's like this weird girl gave me her phone number. Well, I mean, he would think, I bumped you know, into her at a candy shop that was there for a week, and then gone. Yeah. And uh, she she said if we should talk, and gave me her phone number, and I that's that's how we met. Now that I think about it, isn't that weird? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's super lucky. I just I was in this candy shop that I really like, and I just happened to strike a conversation with the owner, and she was like, "Oh, I bet you'd like this girl." Like that's that's just super lucky, right? She had a hor- horrifyingly accurate insight into my psyche. <laughs> <laughs>
with. Or, or he, she just had great was, intuition. She she knew I was an ass man. I mean, clearly, you know. <laughs> uh, it. I don't know. But yeah, again, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it feels weird. Not bad. Just weird. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, uh, my mind keeps going to sex jokes. So I was going to make some sort of a sex joke about not bad, just weird. But mm-hmm. I'll let anyone's mind fill in the blank there. Um Interestingly, Valencia and Bethel are having exactly this conversation that you and me are having, uh, because Valencia, yeah, says that when you're in position of power over someone else, I think it's inescapable that your actions are tainted by that power. The best you can do is pretend that power doesn't exist and to hope that they trust you enough to do the same, because then things can proceed as they normally would. And I really liked her framing of that, and, like, I think it works. I would really like for it to work, and... I think maybe my view is tainted by the fact that I would really like for it to work because of that. I've generally tried to treat my bosses like as normal people. And when like I'm in a slightly elevated position, um, I, I try to treat other people like normal and hope that they treat me just the same way, even if there is a little bit of power disconnect. I don't know. Do you think this is a good framing? Do you, do you like it? No, I, I think it lands really well. And the power differential between Val and the average person who walks in is very different than, um, you know, you and a senior coworker, right? Yeah, but what about your like se- me and senior the coworker CEO? doesn't? Yeah, but even that person, you can still have an interaction with where, like, yes, they have more power and stuff, but like, they're not. They, you know, Val isn't like literally reading people's thoughts, but she basically is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. It's like you and your CEO versus like you and Charles Xavier. You don't think I could have a normal relationship with Charles Xavier? I mean, you could because you could trust him not to use his powers. But like if he was less, uh, if he has less of a paladin about his use of mind reading, right? Um, It'd be like, okay, yeah, you can read my thoughts all the time. We can't hang out like other, we can't have the same kind of relationship that I have with other people because you know all of my thoughts, right? I guess it's just different. Yeah, I know it's I definitely yeah. different. It would never be like completely the same. Even if I'm talking to my CEO, I'm always going to know that. And he's always going to know that too. And it's going to change things a little, but I think trying to not let that affect you as much as is possible is it feels like the best way to, to do it for me. I don't know if I'm really wrong and stupid about that. No, I think you're right. I mean, it, you know, it depends on what the trade-off is, you know, if if it's a physical security risk and you want to act like the person isn't a hundred pounds stronger than you, mm-hmm. um, you know, like a hundred pounds bigger than you and it's all muscle and, you know, you don't want to pretend like it's an even fight. Right. Um, well, what if where, we were hanging you know, out with Dwayne, the rock Johnson, could we have a normal uh, relationship with him? Cause he could- yeah, totally. But like it, I mean, like in the sense of like, if I was the kind of person who got into bar tussles, I wouldn't get in a bar fight with Dwayne, the rock Johnson. Right. Sure. <laughs> But you can and still. Whereas like, I, I might with somebody else who's more my size because <laughs> there's less of a power differential. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, they, they weren't talking about getting in tussles. They were talking about just like even interacting in a candy shop. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, so if I was The Rock, I would have to be aware of the fact all the time that I'm a giant. Yeah. Um, that was, uh, yeah, I think it's, it, that's, that's a, a thing you got to keep in mind. Yeah. It's a good way to put it. I, I think I like the framing. Yeah. I was going to say, Bethel calls out the same thing that I said. It's like, oh, yeah, you were giving him a choice, but you knew what his his choice was going to be because you can basically read his mind. But it's okay because you had his best interests at heart. Yeah. That's the sort of like, 
you know, yes, Val was right, but like she doesn't maybe, you know, she might be missing some, some context. Maybe she's not cause that's her power. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, I don't know she, if he had, if he had, if he had signed up and said, oh, here's 50 bucks, you know, this is your, your Val's dating service. And he knows that he's going to get the number of somebody he'll, he'll get along with. That's different than her. Just like, again, grabbing the wheel of his life and angling it down a turn. He wasn't planning on taking, even though that's the way he wanted to go. You know, I, I think what she did was better, honestly, than having a dating service. Uh, I mean, it's, it's only because, you know, she, if she, if she had seized control of his life and guided it to somewhere terrible or even somewhere like less good than, than it currently was, she'd have done something bad. Um, and, you know, maybe this will actually be suboptimal, but she had good intentions. Does that make it okay? Like, or is it only okay because of the actual consequences? Well, I mean, I think I think that is the question. Like, the backdrop of all this is that we're doing Bethel therapy, and Bethel raped somebody recently without meaning to. And and I, I, I think that's kind of what she's saying. Like, Bethel's like, well, I was giving June a choice. I knew that his choice was most likely going to be that he wants to sleep with me because I've seen how humans react. And I just, I had, you know, his interest is hard. I wouldn't want to relieve some stress. And, and that's why, like, I thought it was kind of weird that Val was on on the side of pretend there aren't power differences, right? At first, I mean, I got to think about this some more, but at first, like, how is Val on that side? Because the reason June got raped was because there were these power differences and uh, Bethel was pretending like there w- they weren't. And he, w- he was too scared to say no forcefully because of those power differences. But like, I sat there and I thought about it for a while and I was like, you know what? The reason he was scared was because but because Bethel had repeatedly flexed her power and her willingness to use that power violently to get what she wanted. And like, if their entire relationship before this had been like them acting as equals, more or less trying to act as equals, pretending they're equals, um, rather than Bethel constantly reminding everyone about her violent dominance of everything, everybody within her, then like, he probably would have been a lot more comfortable saying no and pushing back harder and being like, no, no, I really don't want this. And you know, it was the fact that she was flexing all that power all that time that this happened. And so I think I talked myself back to Val's side that maybe it would be best if they always just pretended like there wasn't a power difference and tried to treat each other with more or less the same respect as if they had equal power, even if they actually don't. You know, but maybe part of the burden of this level of power is that you just don't get to have relationships with regular people. Yeah. Um, like it's, you know, this is beyond being, you know, the rock sized strength, right? Um, this is like being Superman. Yeah. But I mean, and it's a lot of people would want to sleep with the rock or with Superman or something. And can like, can he never have sex because he's Superman? Even when people uh, want it, I I think maybe he couldn't, uh, and I don't know if I believe this, but just to run with the analogy, like I think Superman couldn't proposition somebody for sex. You know, people could proposition him of their own volition, right? Yeah, I understand what you're but saying, but how, how do you is, say no to Superman? Well, he's he's sort of in the uncomfortable position of being the male in the any relationship he's in, so it's going to be almost anyone he's going to have to initiate because women generally don't do that and would probably be even less likely to do it if it's Superman. Like, but he's a celebrity; people throw their underwear at celebrities, right? Yeah, sometimes. I don't, I'm sure Superman's drowning in underwear right i mean he Um, could get random poon if he wanted random poon but like (laughs) if he likes somebody that he works with at the newspaper or or at the 
Fortress of Solitude or wherever he is, he's going to have to say something. And I think if he was like always respectful and nice and showed that he cared about other people, then maybe when he tried to to ask someone out on a date, if they didn't want to go, they would feel okay saying, you know, I know you're God and all, but I'd rather not. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, that's cool. And they would know that he would react like that. And that's why they would feel okay saying no. Yeah, he's also a paragon of virtue. So it's hard to use him as an example when we're talking about like Val and, or Val and Bethel. Yeah, well, I mean, um, I think if Bethel was acting like Superman, then June wouldn't have gotten raped because he would have been like, no, I'd rather not. Yeah, I mean, you know, to, to put a an unnecessarily harsh but fun or, you know, fun in its harshness point on it, you know, Val kind of raped Taurus's life, but he kind <laughs> but he enjoyed it, right? <laughs> and she did it knowing that he would enjoy it, just like Bethel knew that June would enjoy it. The difference was that Val was right. You know, I think, like, I mean, I see what you're saying. I really I think because I use the R word, it becomes impossible for me to like for you to say, yes, you're right, Stephen. <laughs> no, I mean, it, if I thought it was a more valid analogy, I would actually agree with you, even though you use the R word. I just I don't see what Val did as any different other than just random luck, except, you know, she has hot dice. So they roll sixes far more often. Yeah. No, I think I, I again, I, 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 I essentially agree with you. I'm really just like. I'm thinking about um, most of this was viewed through my lens of like at the beginning of this before we kind of get more time in her head. In fact, we hadn't had, we hadn't had any time in her head really yet. Hmm. Um, I'm just thinking like, is she just drunk on the power of, you know, constantly having devils in her that like she can't help, but like fuck with the lies people who come in, um, you know, granted fucking with their lives in a good way. Um, but like, is she just doing this just to get off on the power? That was my thought up until we get into her POV. Hmm. Um, so that that was more or less kind of what was tainting my whole line of thinking there. Um, you are really you know, like tainted by the devil thing. It's it, at least in my opinion, I, that's true. That okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, it. I up until this point, I've been worried that something's going on. Now I leave. I leave this chapter much less worried. Hmm. Uh, but but coming into it. I'm like, oh shit, we're, you know, and even the fact that it wasn't Val's POV to start with, I'm like, is this because Alexander doesn't want to give away mm. the fact that she's actually evil under there? Like, mm-hmm. uh, so, but no, actually it just, it was giving us a cool perspective of what it's like to interact with somebody who can, without your consent or comprehension, change your life for the better. Uh, I gotta say, it is absolutely wonderful, like getting this chapter from your point of view with the intense Val distrust. Cause I was like, I've, I've, I've always had a really soft spot for Val, Val and Fen both, but like Val a little more softer because she's more, you know, helpless June Beatty kind of person. And, uh, and like having he hearing about how you interpreted it with all this distrust of her. I was like, this is fucking fascinating. I love this alternate <laughs> take of this chapter. It's, uh, you know, it, this is one of those chapters where like, it could be there's not much to talk about, but only when we we find different angles on stuff do we is there there meat to discuss there. So no, I agree. It's it's fun. Yeah. Um yeah, it you know, so I started off being like, Oh god, she is like the worst person to be giving Bethel lessons. And then, you know, Bethel's talking about like what, you think it's moral because, you know, you knew his best interests and Val's like, Well, we're you know, we're basically gods. We have to shoulder that burden of power and and then I'm thinking, oh, okay, you know, she's like maybe kind of doing like the best reverse psychology ever, right? Mm. She's trying to say, well, no, we're we're too powerful, you know, we're, we're uh, 
you know, the, the reason that we don't, um, you know, get involved in big stuff, even though we can is because, you know, it, it might lead to unintended consequences or it could spiral out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, but she says that right on the heels of saying we're super powerful. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's basically getting Bethel to argue, no, we should be out there doing the most good. Uh, <laughs> nice. So yeah, you thought so she was she, trying to lead Bethel into to being more proactive out in the world. I think that's what she is actually kind of like, I think that might be part of the long con. I think, I don't know. It felt to me like she really didn't want to and was convinced that Bethel was right. And actually they should, but like before Bethel brought it up, she would have just stayed out of it. And like, I, I think, well, we can get that once we get to when we're in her perspective. I want to pull out like something supporting that. But yeah, when you were the thing that you just quoted about, like, we we can't get involved in the spiral out of control. The way I interpreted that was basically her saying in a very, very polite way, Bethel, you suck so much that leaving this candy shop would make the world worse right now, no matter how much you try to make it better. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh yeah, I didn't take it that way. I, I, I sort of thought it was like, okay, no, we're starting small. We're going to do small goodnesses for practice. Yeah. And then we can move on to large goodnesses when you're getting better at it, right? Right. When you aren't but likely we, to burn down the city. Right. If we start at 100 miles an hour, we're going to just, you know, we'll leave a smoldering crater where this nice little town used to be. So right. <laughs> yeah. um, we'll start with baby steps and, uh, you know, candy shop. Well, what could be more you know, unambiguously good than that. Mm-hmm. A, a sweet pastry shop, but no candy is just mainly for kids. It's even more wholesome. Yeah. And Bethel's like, no, we fix the world now. And I really, I really like that. Honestly, like Val says, you know, maybe once we're finished, we can do the right that do that right now. I want to focus on restraint and on being the sort of person who doesn't approach every problem with maximum force. I'm like, yeah, okay. I, I get Val's point. She is correct. But honestly, that kind of thing, just this thing made me like Bethel a lot more because she's like, she's like a teenager. She cannot abide iniquity and evil in the world. And she just wants to go out there and fight and fix it, you know, make the bad thing go away and bring the good in. Yeah, Val is taking the Dumbledore side of this argument here. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, we we can't. You know, yes, we could kill the bad guy, and I know what you're thinking. You know, we could kill his replacement too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, you know, that, that's that's essentially Harry and Dumbledore's argument plus the murder ingredient. But <laughs> right. uh, the thing is, like, I want to believe in Harry's position, but I know Dumbledore is right. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and and it's like, yeah, I can't burn the world down because you were a dick in traffic. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to let that evil go so I can go to work and, you know, make money to give to an effective charity or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I can't throw my life away because you cut me off. <laughs> yeah. I, so I pulled out this thing and I know I, I ripped on a uh, canceled constellations earlier, but I'm just going to have to take another shot here. Uh, Bethel says that with no badness, when, when she's thinking about, you know, the ideal world, with no badness, there would be nothing to bring justice against. It would simply be gone, replaced by nothing. And Val's like, you yearn to right perceived wrongs. I'm like, oh, is this is this a tract against social justice warriors that we're reading? Because <laughs> I actually know it's not, but that that's totally what it sounds like. The whole, you know, th- there's got to be something to bring justice to. What was really fun about that was uh, the intuition pump that led to this answer was... Val was like, you know, look, how about imagine this? The dungeon master gives you the keys. You get to design the world. 
how do you do it? But and, you die right at the end of it, right when you're done. Right. You don't get to live in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're just, you're building the world for everyone else. And that's just a really fun intuition pump. And I love it. And when she had asked, I'd pause and said, I imagine the Bethel of a few months of a few weeks ago would have said something about justice. And um, let me see, because my exact wording was, uh, I, don't, I, I don't know what she'll say. I suspect that a few weeks ago, she'd have said something about justice slash vengeance on those who deserve it or something. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially exactly what she says. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I think it's just, it's a huge, uh, um, prop to alexander's writing that like he can write characters like that are strongly written strongly charactered enough that even i can pick up on it Mm -hmm. um and i'm i'm not that good at it so uh if i if i'm picking it up it means that he's putting it down really good yeah um but it's so that's still where bethel's at um and she even though she uses the word justice she's describing vengeance she doesn't know the difference Mm, yeah right i think so yeah i mean she never it, got it's justice. Possible. I mean, I, I think that, yeah, I mean, she never got justice as maybe part of it, but she also never got the vengeance that she wanted. But no, I think right. that like she's, she's not so much interested in running around town, you know, punching muggers, right? She doesn't want to Batman this city. Mm-hmm. She wants to slaughter anyone who comes inside her, but I'm, oh. um, I, I mean, they say that a couple of times, the word come inside you. Yes. Um, or at least but, once. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she doesn't want to go out and like, you know, maximize the good. She wants to, you know, stomp at the assholes who would dare to come into her house and be a dick, mm-hmm. um, which isn't justice. It's vengeance, but she doesn't see the difference. Yeah. When Val is talking to um, Bethel, she mentions that um, that she was raped by Uther, uh, that uh, the, by having all the entads forced inside her. And, you know, we, again, context of June's recent rape, uh, right away that jumps out to us. But, you know, she acknowledges it uh, in the text. She says the language she'd used had been precise. The mention of rape, a specific one intended for effect, an attempt to draw a parallel. And, like, I really, I like this writing a lot because it gives, it gives you an intuition for why the lust for vengeance can be a bad thing. And I think... One of the reasons that we were talking earlier about like how the first half of Batman was great, um, like one of the reasons it falls apart in the end is because it tries to do this, but it doesn't do it very well. Whereas Worth the Candle here has done it extremely well, showing that like if you have just a burning lust for vengeance, you end up like Bethel and you make the world a lot worse than it otherwise would be. And I'd, another book I read about this, uh, Best Served Cold by Joe Abercrombie absolutely fucking fantastic book about vengeance it is oh it's so good and at the end of it like there's one character whose life is been destroyed by a quest for vengeance another one who's like oh my god i i got my vengeance but i can't do this anymore this is wrong i gotta give it up like it really paints it out very well and like with with the batman movie as much as i loved the first half like at the end the the it was kind of like you don't, you don't want to be vengeance because then you're going to turn into one of these pathetic incel guys. And I'm like, that's, that's not really that compelling. Like there, there's much more compelling reasons to not be wrapped up in a lust for vengeance and, you know, worth the candle just does it better because Alexander Wales is a fucking pimp and should write everything. The last of us too. Yeah. That's another good example. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last of us too. I really felt that at the end there, she was being fucking stupid. Ellie was. 
I mean, I I think that that's part of what happens when you're you know drunk on vengeance. That's true. Um, I think that that was part of the part of what we're supposed to take away from it. Yeah. Um, one of these days we'll maybe eventually get around to doing a spoilery chat on that game, which I did actually do a couple of years ago, and then that recording was lost to time. Um, but Dope. yeah, I uh, it's interesting, and I, I get that like. You know, she she used the word rape, you know, again, for the intended effect. Um, but I, and I don't know how much this is worth, like, stopping to put a pin in it. But, like, you know, it's because they talk about, like, well, maybe, you know, you, Bethel, you have this fantasy of retribution for the power of it. Maybe that comes from time in your life when you weren't able to exercise control, you know, where your power didn't help. And very therapy of her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Bethel says, Uther, it's always back to Uther. And I really hope part of her recovery can be getting off the hate train for Uther. Cause like, you know, while Val uses, you know, the heavily loaded R word in a way to uh, like emotionally impact Bethel, I really don't like the comparison. And that's probably in fairness, tainted a bit by the fact that I love Arthur. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that what he did was like more akin to shoving his dick in a vacuum than like raping somebody. Right. Oh, I don't think she was at all talking about the time that, you know, he shoved his dick in a vacuum because I agree that was nothing and Bethel thinks it's nothing. She doesn't, that didn't matter to her at all. It was the constant being forced uh, to absorb more entads when she was, you know, screaming and crying, no, please stop, don't do that. That's okay, that's then, the rape. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I guess I had a, a sexual connotation with that word and it didn't have to necessarily be that way. It was a volition violation. Yeah. Um, of of a severe order okay that makes sense um okay good well then i don't have to you know die on the hill defending a possible rapist um (laughs) so okay great i get to just skirt right past that um so uh let's see um so bethel and valencia end this particular interaction before the line break with uh bethel asking you want to take this happiness for me to make my acts of violence no longer so enjoyable? And Valencia says, no, I only want to ensure that you never acted violent when it wasn't appropriate. And uh, do you think Val is lying here? Because I think she's lying. See, that's the thing is I have no idea. She talked about like when Bethel asked, you know, what's your perfect world look like? He said, you'd tell me. And Val pauses, evaluating whether or not to be honest. Mm -hmm. And as she's weighing the pros and cons of honesty, she thinks about, you know, once you lie, the truth ever after becomes your enemy, but she doesn't put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't think lying is bad. Um, she thinks lying is a lot of work. Um, so like she comes down on the side of goodness, but not for the right reasons, which is disconcerting. Mm. Um, but that's my long way of saying is I have no idea if she actually believes anything that she's saying out loud. No. <laughs> um, but uh, the, I mean, I think the, I, other... I think, okay. I, I think that this is mostly true though. Like, you know, Yes, it's not that I never want you to act violent. Like, look at our lives. We're going to have to be violent, right? No, no, no. It's, uh, she says, you want to make the violence not as enjoyable for me. And Val says, oh, no. I see. Yeah, so it's not about the amount of violence. It's about her enjoying it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that she might be lying about that. Yeah. Like, yes, I. the end goal of this is that you won't love hurting people. Yeah. Because that's not a good thing to enjoy. Yeah. Um, when you enjoy yeah, something, that makes... you want to do more of it and you seek out opportunities to do it. Right. I think that that's, uh, yeah, I think you're right. She's probably being dishonest there. Yeah. And it would be so weird trying to explain to somebody like Bethel, 
who's like every or you know anyone whose solution to every problem is violence saying no no you know violence is good but only sometimes mm-hmm. like let me it's try just- and show you where the lines are because the lines are so fuzzy as cookie monster would say violence is a sometimes food <laughs> did did the cookie monster ever say that oh yeah uh they i mean i don't know the not in my childhood but uh eventually later on he would start saying that cookies are a sometime food and you know like vegetables oh. and fruits are all the always time foods i thought he, i thought that at some point he said violence is a sometimes food and i'm like <laughs> okay sesame street change like is different from what i was told right <laughs> i didn't actually grow up on sesame street i watched like cartoons i shouldn't have been watching instead oh, um, okay but it was on i just was you know watching ren and stimpy and you know other shit that five-year-olds probably shouldn't have been watching but yeah. um <laughs> for, for a significant portion of my elementary school life i could only watch a half hour of non-pbs per day so i got a lot of like reading rainbow and sesame street and those sorts of things Honestly, that's pretty damned wholesome. And like the fact that your parents queued onto like what's on TV and what's available and what's good like that quickly is actually pretty tight. Um, I imagine they probably learned it from, you know, connections at church or something. But um, I think I think you could have you could have been worse off if they had said half an hour of TV per day, you know, unlimited PBS. I think that probably wasn't bad for a kid. I mean, it was it was super annoying for me because all my friends were talking about all the different cartoons they saw, and I would only ever get to see like one of them, and I couldn't keep up with the conversation. But yeah, I didn't have all that many friends anyway, so what's it matter? The- <laughs> yeah, you, you, you might have had more if you're allowed to watch more TV. You know, yeah, like, yeah. I withdraw my my praise. <laughs> but on the other hand, I did learn quite a lot of things about how to count up to twelve and and other <laughs> and and reading Rainbow and yeah. Um, what else was on uh, Mister Rogers? Uh, yeah, although I outgrew Mister Rogers pretty quickly. I mean, to be honest, I kind of outgrew Sesame Street too, but they still had good songs, and like the Muppets were really fun, even as they're getting older. You know, fair enough. All right, where are we? Uh, we oh are. my God, yes, uh, the letter from hell. Yes. Um, so, so Val takes in an infernal because she's never not eating doubles. We learn she goes out for some time by herself, as she's done apparently a few times. And uh, there was a quick line before that. Before we get to the the new devil that she takes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's at some shop and the thought occurs to her that the shopkeeper didn't find her very attractive. Mm-hmm. And it says a devil's insight was incredible overkill to know that, but she wasn't sure that the thought would have come to her unbidden. If she didn't have a devil in her, she didn't really care if the shopkeeper felt she was attractive or not. Um, yada, yada, yada. Um, still, it was a lack of control of her powers that frightened her because it meant that she might fail at a moment when it was important. And like this whole time I'm thinking that, okay, good. She's got good motives. She's got a good grip on it, but she's worried about her grip. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it, again, she doesn't get, it seems like she doesn't get to pick everything that the devils tell her. Uh, She gets all the insights. And then she, as Val has to be the one to sift through them and use them best she can. But the, the power is coming in, you know, typically with a demonic slant. Yeah. And so, and, and she's worried that her control might fail, um, you know, at, at a crucial moment. So, you're worried about a girl Val here turning evil at a really bad point. Yeah. Yeah. I never, I never thought she's doing it. So I, I think I, you know, paranoia style suggested that she might be doing it on purpose uh, a few weeks ago, but that's never really been my concern. My concern is that she might accidentally be doing evil stuff. Yeah. It seems like she's not. It seems like she's nailing it, but she's worried that she might, you know, slip up at some point. Yeah. So you're trying to say that your fears were not unfounded. 
they're not unfounded. And yet I feel better about my concerns, you know, now than I did a couple weeks ago. Cause a couple weeks ago is just a weird mystery. So mm-hmm. now that we've been inside her head, she seems like she's doing pretty good. Yeah. Um, all right. So they get, she, she takes in the devil who, uh, apparently only a handful of infernals had died since like the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. And she's burnt through tens of thousands because mm-hmm. she goes through a hundred every time she wonders how to ask Jorge, you know, to <laughs> pass the, pass the popcorn or something. Right. Okay. So without, without offending him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, they're calling the, the deaths of the infernals extic- ex- existence failure events, which is a fantastic name. I, I I totally second that, and I petition that we re- we rename death as existence failure. Done, seconded, and po- motion passes. Excellent. Uh, so they, the, apparently the, there's like this whole like all right, you know, like a five or six point agenda that went out to all the bosses in hell, and it's going to make its way down to all the minions. And the first thing is like a tax to fund research. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, first of all, this is not how I pictured hell working. <laughs> and and second is, uh, is, is this going to, is, okay, sorry. This isn't how I pictured hell. Like I didn't picture demons with this level of cooperation. Hmm. And second, what, what, what funding do, what currency <laughs> do they have? <laughs> I think they have human souls. I don't know. It, it like, sounds that's like that's the only thing they care about. I mean, do they? What, what do they need to power with the souls, though? Like, you know, if you one thing, all right, yes, we need all the money we can so we can, you know, contract out to another nation to get all the wood to put together this giant project. Fine, but like, what what are they taxing them for? <laughs> I. I don't know. Maybe like to get demons to do research, you got to pay them and they accept payment in human souls. That's that's plausible. Um, third, a large number of infernals would be conscripted from across the hells, focusing on those with a particular knowledge of esoteric magics, the planar phenomena and Uther Pendrag. Not that he's expected to have anything to do with it. The letter assured, but because he was automatically implicated in any major threat, <laughs> yes. um, which is a awesome and B good because it, basically closes the door on any lingering concern that we might have had that he could be in hell so oh yeah good point i mean it the dragon seemed pretty sure um raven seemed confident but i'm like there could be a level nine thousand and one. Mm. so it it seems like if that was the case they would be aware of it right mm-hmm. the the hell spawn that is yeah um and uh they're they're apparently like new souls that come in are going to be offered a chance to like share information about, you know what the hell's happening here? Mm-hmm. We'll give you, we'll give you a, uh, a utopia instead. Mm-hmm. And if they deliver on this heaven and hell sort of thing, that would be just an, that'd be an extra fuck you to everyone else being tortured. Right. Yeah. Oh, maybe that's how they, they do business with the, uh, the planar realms by being like, or, or the, the air realms by being like, Hey, you know, we, uh, we won't torture you in hell if you give us X, Y, Z right now. That'd be a sweet deal. It'd be mm-hmm. like impossible not to take that deal. Yeah. Um, do you remember uh, uh, Scott Alexander's story? Um, yes. Unsung. Yep. It's got a weird name. It's you know it's a made up word. That was hard. Why well, it's hard to remember. The the hell in that is so has so many creepy vibes to it. Mm-hmm. But one of like the just the most sinister and awesomely evil things is that Hitler's got like this awesome villa mm-hmm. and is just thriving. Mm-hmm. And every Jew he killed has like a pebble that they carry with them that lets them know how awesome Hitler's life is at that at every moment. <laughs> so fucked up. It's so fucked up. 
that's the kind of thing I could just imagine going on with this sort of deal here, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but in tuning or in, in fully in tune with like the uh, the hell I had imagined. Apparently, the demon that she ate wasn't planning on cooperating with anything in this memo anyway. Yeah. So, uh, fortunately, they are just as disorganized and uh, you know hard to coordinate as one might hope. Yeah. So. And I think one of the points in that memo was that fresh mortals, uh, especially ones who held security clearances in life, would undergo interrogations by specialists, which made me think, holy shit, how many people in Uniquities know about Val? Because if any of them die, they got to get fucking bottled or, or, or the gang is fucked. That's a good point. They haven't been... Wait, how... how... Were they able to bottle everybody um, in the group of people that killed Fen? Don't know. I hope so. I, th- I mean, I, the memo just I went out, so maybe they weren't. Yeah, they probably did. I think they did because they bottled um, what's his face right away. Yeah, I think that they ran in and got everybody in time because she demoed at least to some of them. Yeah, and then I guess I was just thinking like we know that she's told some people who have died already. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, you're right. Some people in iniquities might know. Hopefully, they're keeping a lid on it because they're also aware of the fact, right? Hmm. Um. Yeah, but this is a need-to-know thing. Hmm. Yeah, the, the cat's going to come out of the bag eventually. It's yeah. curious. what. Of course, what the fuck are they going to do about it? I, I don't you know? know. It doesn't seem like she has really a lid on how many she can kill. At one, well, there's a lid, but it's like in the thousands, and it takes a second to kill them, so she can kill, you know, 10 million a day. Yeah, but um, there's trillions. Like, Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, I, I guess throw some time chamber and some Arab PCP in there to keep her fueled, <laughs> like... I think that she could probably, you know, stop any coordinated effort, but it'll probably come to a head and we'll get to see how that shakes out. So, yeah. Do you remember how in the uh, infinite library, one of the future timelines was the, the Hellions had somehow coordinated and managed to invade Arab? Vaguely. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, so apparently they can somehow get into Arab if it's like such a big fucking deal that they need to unite and the apocalypse demon got onto Arab. So I guess... If there's enough effort, they can find some way to breach into the plane, into the airplane. Yeah. I wonder if Val could have killed the Apocalypse Demon as, as easily as she kills other Hellspawn. I think narratively, no, because that would be too easy. Na- yeah, that wouldn't be fair. Um, I also wonder if Hellspawn did make it to this plane, if she could use her power on them. That's a good question. Maybe we'll find out. Maybe we shall. All right. So... She writes off a, a nice, you know, little love letter to Jorge and a coded message describing all this stuff to Amarillas. Yes. And she's thinking as she's walking back uh, about how she didn't want uh, Bethel to really be straying beyond the bounds of the candy shop. Because if she did, she might run into some people out in the city that are distasteful. And then she would want to kill them because, you know, they're, they're bad people. Uh, and she says she had Valencia had quietly identified a small handful of cases that might be cause for further discussion with Bethel about the nature of justice, revenge, and the sins of mortals. Uh, and it says some of these she was handling quietly on her own. The trick was making them disappear without drawing suspicion to herself. And like, I don't remember thinking this the first time I read through this, but now that I'm reading this and I have you whispering to me about how she's got the devil's influencing her thinking, I was like, oh shit she's she's disappearing people like that sounds very evil so that she can do therapy on bethel i'm not sure that's a good enough reason to disappear folks that's exactly what i said i'm like wait <laughs> dis- she's disappearing people mm-hmm. and like what is she turning them into high-end luggage um 
But no, apparently she's doing the what we've apparently decided the morally permissible thing of just super intelligently arguing them into doing something that she wants them to do. I don't um, wait. Yeah, whoa. She, 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 she argued a, a spousal abuser into just leaving town. Okay. So first of all, I don't think we at all established that it is morally permissible to super intelligence, argue someone into doing something. Uh, I, I simply said that oh, super, super intelligently suggested. I'm sorry. No, I, <laughs> dude, <laughs> all Val did was give him a list of numbers and was like, these are some people that could, you know, might be able to, Help your life along if you contact them. That is totally that, different. That's not all she did. She did it after demonstrating like an immense insight into the guy about, oh, yeah, you know, you love the mood. Um, I'm reading you like a book. You can tell I'm reading you like a book. Let me tell you some stuff, you know, that is going to land with you really hard. Oh, and here's her number. Um, it, it wasn't she didn't just stick the name on a sticky note and, you know, slip it to him. Right. She She, she gave it to him, guiding his life that way. Like on purpose. She made it more likely that he would call her. But like, that's it. She gave him a number, man. She didn't sit down and try to mind whammy him for an hour like she did this wife abuser dude. That's that's totally. Yeah, that's true. I I concede. Uh, So she she put in a lot more effort. And uh, so as far as disappearing people goes, she's a hero. This is awesome. This is nicer than Batman. Way nicer than Batman. (laughs) <laughs> like, you know, Batman would have beat this guy to a pulp, which, you know, arguably wouldn't have been necessarily the worst use of his time. Um, but, you know, Val said, no, look, take some of your money, get out of town. And if anyone else said that, he'd probably say, fuck you. But Val can be very persuasive. Mm-hmm. So, uh, no, I think, you know, it's hard to say that's making a wrong move. I think it's not. It's kind of solid. Per the story, Val can right some wrongs with just a little effort. And, you know, if if the house is going to be left in disarray, then she'll find a great partner for, um, you know, some other guy will walk into the candy shop and be like, aha, this woman's totally your type. You yeah. Know? And so these, these are the kind of small, subtle goods that she can do walking around. I, I feel like if it's a choice between like, since, since she can't do like the, you know, I'm going to ded- dedicate my life to fixing this problem. So she can either do like the Batman approach, which she's totally capable of. Um, or she can do the, uh, the Val approach. And I feel like the Val approach is nicer. And for me, I gave her a point for Gryffindor for it. Okay. So when we get the mafia guy, this guy, uh, he's great. (laughs) Uh, He's, he's a bully and he's got hired muscle with him. They're apparently like the largest, like magical race on Arab or something. Mm. Who's got these two. I'm picturing just basically two hulks. Mm-hmm. And they've got magic looking weapons, but they're, he emphasizes that they look like entads, right? Mm-hmm. Not that they are. And it makes me think that's a fun little bit of world building that I hadn't thought of. Of course, there's a huge market for things that look like entads, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Now, granted, someone calls your bluff on it. It's like carrying around a BB gun. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it but, is still a real gun. Right. But if, if, you know, if people think it's a magic gun and it's not, and, uh, yeah they call your bluff on it and you just shoot a bullet at them. They might be ready for that. So, um, but anyway, so I think that's fun. And he's just like, no, I'm the, I'm the lone mobster who goes around offering protection money Mm. or protection services. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and of course the one thing he's got to imply is like, well, it'd be shame if something happened to your beautiful floorboards and windows Mm. and Bethel just comes down the stairs, just smile on her face. Like, 
Oh man. Right. You had to go and threaten my floorboards and windows. You know, the candy, fuck all that, but no, man, the the housey bits of this stuff that now now you pushed my buttons. Oh, it's fantastic <laughs> because Val's trying to get him to go and, and then Bethel just comes down the stairs fucking happy cuz she's like, "Oh yes, I get to torture kill some people finally and they deserve it." And then like Val's like, "No, no, no, hold on, hold on." And the the Freeman place with wards and then just like have this long moral discussion about whether it's right to kill him or not in front of his face and he's like oh i'm i'm so fucked i i i have nothing to say here i hope i don't i'm fucked i'm gonna die and it's great i loved it so much that that's why i liked him it's like you know he he's immediately stuck and he's he's in a invisible ward he can't he can't move and it's just he comes in like oh i'm hot shit and then like oh fuck i immediately <laughs> outclassed and not just a little but a lot i regret <laughs> and, my choices <laughs> and uh i think even Be- uh, bethel turns to him at some point and it's like why is your life worth or like why should uh or no she's 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 looking at uh val but you know with an earshot of the guy morally speaking why should this man live? Mm-hmm. And like, it's, he's just sitting there. It's like, I hope that she, the other person has a good answer. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's gr- hush. We're deciding your fate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he tries to offer to leave. Let me, let me let you guys finish this conversation in private. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, let's bring your goons in here too. All three oh, of you man. guys are in this shit now. And and Bethel says something along the lines of like, oh, sure. So, you know, like my resources, you know, like people's resources can pay for him to live in prison. Mm-hmm. She might even say like my resources. Mm-hmm. And she- I'm like, first of all, no one's ever started a sentence with as a taxpayer and not said something that sounded like an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a Demetri Martin joke. Oh. Uh, but it's like no, no one has never said, well, as a taxpayer and then not finish the sentence in a way that made them an asshole. Okay. Um, but like, like Bethel's complaining about her tax dollars. Like, what she she pays taxes. Uh, I'd like I'd like to see her tax returns on this candy shop, right? Yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, it's it's not. But the principal, exactly. Yeah, it's not it's not her resources. It's other people's resources. Yeah, it's social <laughs> resources in general being burned. Right. But Val points out there will always be opportunities for rehabilitation. And Bethel says rehabilitation that comes with costs. And yeah, you know, I I think I'm with Val here, though, obviously, like the rehabilitation thing is important, but I love the conversation. Yeah, no, it's a great conversation. And I, you know, there's a tipping point. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if it took all the world's resources to rehabilitate this guy, then it's like, no, fuck it. Sorry, you get to just, you know, we'll bottle you. It's the least we can do. Um, it's yeah that's but, I mean, basically that's what val says if it came down to it i would kill men like him if it meant better men could live better lives but it's a question of margins and boy yeah like it's amazing how many lifetimes of damage one person can do and just uh, the majority of crimes are create are um, committed by i hear less than 10 percent of the population like just it's it's amazing how much damage just these few people do and like if they could be caught and aborted in some way god how much better the world would be but like then again they've already done the thing and 
you don't know enough to stop them beforehand. So maybe, maybe you can rehabilitate them and then they can make up for some of the shit they did and make the world better and like give not as better as it would have been if they would have never been born because that could be literally impossible. But, you know, maybe also give some other people who are, who've done slightly bad things, the, the motivation to come around and rehabilitate. I don't know. It's yeah. No, I I see what you're saying. It's, it's not surprising to learn that, you know, the majority of crimes are committed by a small percentage of people because like most people who live a life of crime do just that. Right. Yeah. They commit crime after crime. So Mm -hmm. like, you know, it, for me, I, I think uh, I still fall in the Bethel camp. Like, let's let's give these people magic compassion pills and you know a decent living environment and problem solved. Um, you mean the Valencia you know, camp? Because the Bethel camp is kill them. You said the did Bethel I say camp. Bethel camp? Yeah. Oh damn! No, no, yeah, the Val camp all the way. Bethel camp is uh, you don't you don't stay long at Bethel camp. Um, you get turned into whatever uh, fertilizer. Um, no. Uh, yeah, re- rehabilitation all the way if possible. Um, but the the solution that they they eventually come to here it's great because you know Val's got this this therapy plan right, mm-hmm. and this guy kind of steps in and she's like, "Well, fuck me now." I you know I'm kind of thinking on my feet this whole time, but now I'm I'm really having to sprint. And she eventually is like, "Hold on, no, I took the wrong track with this." Like. Basically, yes. just let, let me let me take my argument from the top. And this is the uh, best thing that she comes out with. Yeah, go on. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Well, she says he exists only because there was a gap within the society for him to exist within. If we kill him, that gap will remain, and some other person will come to fill it. You could kill everyone with the temperament and training to fill that gap, but that requires time and resources, resources that you've already said you're loath to spend. To actually fix the problem, to eliminate men like like this from the world without spending absurd amounts of limited resources, we need to use them. And yeah, I just think this is such a good argument, and it needs to be framed and hung up, I don't know, somewhere, everywhere? Like, unless you're willing to eliminate all the gap fillers in a social gap, which could be God knows how many people, you gotta fix the gap, man. Yeah, it's awesome. And that's, you know, what I was gesturing towards when I'd said, you know, decent housing for people who, you know, are living a life of crime. But mm, okay. like, you know, it uh, a better example might be, you know, we can instead of continuing to lose the war on drugs, we can seed victory and let stores sell drugs. Yeah. And boom, the, the drug trade is gone. Yeah. Like it and suddenly... The people who are on the street selling drugs no longer are because I'd rather get my drugs at Seven Eleven than from some thirteen-year-old, you know, of unknown w- w- uh, and get drugs of unknown quality. Yeah, like, exactly. It it everybody wins, and the people who like the need is already being met. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, those people have to go get other lines of work, and their opportunities are probably limited. But that's another. That's just the next problem to solve, right? I don't. Um, yeah, like I don't know how limited they are. So I was I was wondering. Obviously, this wouldn't work for, like, crimes of passion, because those aren't gaps in society. Those are people who lost control of their emotions. And, like, it wouldn't work for junkies, because they, they're just getting high and can't hold down jobs anyway. But, like, I don't know. That thing, it sounds like it would work for, like, maybe career thieves and, and con men and such. Like, there's lots of violent men in society, but they're channeled into productive careers by being security or uh, or military or... Uh, I called it gladiators, but you know, basically the the violent contact sports that we have, 
And I think that like a lot of drug dealers would do really well in like no regulation economies where they're free to just find out what people want and get it for them without having to do all this credentialism and licensing and submission to the state that regular honest businessmen have to do. Cause like some of these people, there are like, they don't have an education, but they're like whip smart and motivated and can figure out how to get shit done when they need to get it done. They just can't fit in to, to all the social bureaucracy and, and hoops that we run them through. And I mean, those are there for a reason. They're important, but if there was like a separate other economy that they could exist in where there just isn't regulation and isn't all this other stuff that needs to be done, I think they could thrive there. A lot of them. Yeah, probably. I think that there's something to be said there. I mean, you know, I don't know, you know, some of them probably don't have like the the knack of finding, you know, what market niche to fill. They just know that like people love this drug. Right. Right. Yeah. And so like, you know, and I was thinking, especially like, you know, the early teenage, you know, young people, Mm-hmm. Um, and not, not the consenting adults who've decided to make this li- their line of work, but like, you know, the kids who got roped into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, there, there are, there are skills there and, you know, other niches to fill with that skill set. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I, uh, you know, like you said, we can, we can, we can burn everything down and kill tons of people eliminating the gap, uh, the gap fillers or fill the gap. You know, those, b- before we go on real quick, th- those young people that you were talking about, I mean, I, I know I've said before uh, that we need to start giving uh, teenagers more adult-like responsibilities at earlier ages, but it strikes me that those those kids are people who do not do well in the school system and have dropped out of that and are basically enrolling in an apprenticeship program. Like, you get shit for wages, you do all the shit work, but you, if you survive, <laughs> work your way up the system and learn by doing and have someone, you know, showing you the ropes. And like, that's, that's basically the unregulated non-licensed economy. And they would probably do, but better in situations where you could drop out of school when you're 12, 13 and just go apprentice yourself to someone and learn what they do. I mean, given the example that you chose for that, I think you made a very compelling case for forcing kids to stay in school and not letting them have jobs. Um, <laughs> Son of a bitch. Those kids that are forced like, to stay in school end up drug dealers. They'd be much better off um, as apprentices. The ones who stayed in school didn't aren't aren't out dealing drugs for, you know, four fifty an hour, you know, on average for take home money, you know? Like the ones and, that are out dealing drugs were also forced to stay in school though. It's just the force didn't quite work. <laughs> We need, we need uh, uh, harder uh, chains on the kids to their <laughs> desks. Uh, but no, yeah, uh, I, I I half agree with you, and the other half of me that doesn't is mainly having fun with it. So we'll save it for another time. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's a fun thing to think about. Um, yeah, so I think you're right. Crimes of passion, I think, luckily don't make up a large percentage of crime, and like they're not the kind of thing that this intervention would work for anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and I'm not sure what percentage of crime is crimes of passion, but I feel like most crimes that people are worried about are crimes of uh, like regularity, Mm -hmm. you know, a planned burglary or something. Yeah. Not like I got mad and hit this person. Right. Um, You you avoid being a victim of that crime by like not pissing people off. (laughs) Right. Right? Sounds like blaming the victim there, sir. But no, I I understand what you're saying. I pass signs all the time on the highway or like approaching parking complexes that are like, you know, 
don't leave valuables in your car. Be sure to lock your vehicle, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. And every time in my head, I'm like, way to victim blame. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, yeah, if I leave my laptop on the passenger seat and I come back to my car and it's gone, it's like I could have put it under the seat. And yes, the the criminal shouldn't have taken it, but I could have taken steps to prevent it. This is obviously not making a comment about sexual assault. That's a whole fucked up thing. Yeah. But it's, I, it, all right. In, in, in a similar vein, I have a, a less facetious, actually, argument. Well, it's actually equally facetious, but I, I more will stand by it. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, uh, you know, like how, I don't know what exactly year it happened, but it became um, uh, wrong for people to wear their hair a certain way or, or wear certain clothes or whatever. Yes. Um, and I, I don't think I've ever got a chance to say this to somebody's face, but like... It was, I think I thought it and that's, and I had the thought and it just stuck with me for like the next 10 years, but somebody was, it was some, some white girl with dreads mm-hmm. and I get, there's a long history of, of fucked up shit with people fucking with black people in their hair. And so I, I completely get the argument and I'm not taking a stance on it, but my, my facetious remark about it was somebody was like, you know, she shouldn't, she shouldn't, she can't have her hair like that or she shouldn't have her hair like that or something. Mm-hmm. And in my head, my reply was like, you know, I just don't like telling women what they can do with their bodies. <laughs> um, which, you know, how can you argue with me on that? Right. Well, um, well, they'll say, well, no, they can murder a human in their bodies. That part's fine. But if they want to do their hair a certain way, that's where I draw the line. Uh, <laughs> now, again, I'm not taking a real stance on that position, but I, uh, I just like the kind of funny corner you get backed into. Yeah, it's it's th- there is no consistency. There is no principles. It's yeah. I think there, there there actually is consistency in principle. There it is a it is a principle of like don't harm people. No, right? Because no, you're uh, not harming anyone by wearing your hair a certain way. I think that the people who argue that uh, people whatever people that argue that white people shouldn't have dreads. Mm-hmm. Um, they they do believe that a kind of harm is being done, and they're now, wrong. I, I yeah, I think I disagree, but it's like so. They're it's not that they don't have principles; it's that their principles aren't precisely calibrated. But it's not like they're not being consistent. They're just they've they've got a premise wrong, right? Okay, it's, it's like it's like I, the um, it, it's yeah, it's like you're the, right, you're uh, right. Super religious person who will shoot who will shoot a, an abortion doctor. Mm-hmm. They will say at, at the same time, "Thou shalt not kill," and they'll they'll load their rifle to go to the abortion clinic. Right. Yeah. Like, I no, guess they, you're right. They're, they're, they're wrong about perfectly what's consistent. harmful. Yeah. Yeah. They're just wrong. <laughs> so, yeah. They're not evil. They're just stupid. Mistaken. I, I'm a mistake <laughs> theorist. Okay. Uh, mistake so, is definitely the more charitable way of putting that. I, I let me keep a kernel of goodness with people. Yeah, um, that's good. All right. So they're, they're, they're sitting there talking about like, we're basically demigods <laughs> and uh, the, um, I saw, Again, I had, this guy's just sitting there shitting his pants. Mm-hmm. It's it's delightful. I, I had to pull out this line that Val says because I think basically this should be the subtitle of the book. It's worth the candle. We're demigods of our own varieties. We're here because we're trying to work some things out about ourselves. <laughs> it's a great line. And yeah, it's 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 what's all happening here. It's great. I love it. Um, yeah, I think that's that's awesome. And yeah. that, that's a that's a funny um I I can see that making it into the title of one of the books. <laughs> I don't think so. It's too it's too satirical, but it would be fantastic. And it's a little long, but like it is. what you know, what was the first one the first collection called? Um Through Adversity. Yeah. 
you're right. That, that's substantially longer than through adversity, but maybe um, demigods you know, maybe trying to work some things out three, about themselves. Yeah, or just like you know, book three working stuff out. I don't know. Oh yeah, uh, that's a good one. The the one with Grack. Uh, hmm. um, you know, Grack's uh, oh home, the suicide but, thing. Yeah, yeah. All right. So what do they what do they eventually settle on here? Um, they settle on recruiting this guy to basically sounds like subvert the criminal underground to start making the city a good place to live and doing it by making some systemic changes to how things are done. And I want to say, first of all, this city is going to be straight up pimping when they're done with it. But also like Val's earlier idea about a heaven was just give everyone an infinite amount of resources and make them, you know, peaceful. And I guess that's great. But like this, what they're doing here sounds like a much cooler heaven than Val's idea of infinite resources for everyone. This is like an interesting city with interesting problems and challenges and people trying to make things good. And it just sounds like much more fun for me than, uh, than sitting around on infinite resources. Although I would love to take vacations to infinite resources land every now and then. That's why we yeah, have it sounds like a fun place to visit. Yeah. And th- this isn't heaven for whatever this criminal guy's name is. He's terrified that if he does it wrong, these demigods are going to find him and just annihilate all of his veins or something, right? Like, just so- something terrible to him. Yeah, but once so he, he starts, he, he like, doesn't get to live in heaven. No, but once he starts like doing a, g- a good job and feeling like they they you know trust him a bit and are relying on him to do a lot of stuff, I I bet he's going to start feeling pretty good about the situation. Yeah. There were there was one baby step earlier that I missed with with uh, Bethel where she acknowledges that like jumping in to kick this guy's ass mm-hmm. was um, impulsive. Yeah, and she, she acknowledges that she's like, "Yep, you're right. It was impulsive. I can concede that." That's true. And so Val says, "I know what you're feeling. He's scum, and you want to end him, not because it would be good, but because it would be satisfying. That's part of growing up, though, knowing to choose what's good over what's satisfying." And Bethel just shaking her head, growing up. Okay. She turns to the guy. Well, you heard the woman. You're going to be working for us now. And, um, you know, growing up is part of growing up is learning that you're not allowed to just hit anything that annoys you. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, while Bethel shakes her head, she capitulates. Yeah. I think that, you know, this guy, goodness, could he have been sent by the DM to help speed run Val's uh, success here because they he wants Bethel back with June? No, or is don't this just do good that timing? kind of thinking. That's, that ruins everything. Not if it's not if he's helping for once, but you're right. If it's helping for once, it's definitely not him. This is just, you know, good luck. <laughs> um, so, uh, anyway, yeah, they uh, this ends with uh, she doesn't skin him and feed his skin to him. Yeah. She just says, "Look, you're working for us now. It's great. Yeah, it's awesome. This is this is this is growth. Mm-hmm. It is. She's yeah. she's yeah, very proud of her. Stoked. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, shall we find out what we're going to be proud about in the next week? Yes, I'm excited. That was a very bad transition. But uh, for next week, we are reading the next three chapters. And for real, it's only three chapters this time. They are long, and there's a lot in them." Uh, they are chapters 185, Mirror Room, chapter 186, Paladin, and chapter 187, Pendrag's Rules of Order. Well, I don't know what to speculate there. <laughs> Mirror Room could be introspection, could be a little room of mirrors with stuff. Paladin sure sounds Uthri, and Pendrag's Rules of Order sounds like the Rules of Order thing that he mentioned, but I can't be just like, maybe it is just a courtroom hearing or something and it runs by that, but... Uh, I'm hoping it's very Uther heavy, so fingers crossed. We'll see what we get. 
Excellent. Um, we have to give a big shout out to Alexander Wales making this game so we can play it. The game is tight. We're having a good time. And don't forget to buy his ebook, buy his audiobook, and support him and us on Patreon. Inyash, am I forgetting anything? No, that is it. You have let us out very well, and I thank you for it, sir. All right. Well, high five to everybody. We will see you guys back here next week. Cool. Peace.